At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Dinty from Dinty's Hideaway, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Frodo, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vemke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., and Tim Lindner. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk.
All right. Thank you to D. Bruce Moore for creating that video. Uh, we really <laughs> loved it and had to show it again. Good job. Welcome to Coco Talk, the world's leading video show where we talk about all things Coco, Dragon, MC10, and occasionally some other Tandy stuff as well. We have a fantastic panel of people. I'm your host, Nick Morota, and uh, let's go through the panel, introduce uh, who we have here. Uh, so our backup streamer, Mark Bosley. Hello. How you doing, Mark? Mm, doing fine. Good to see you. And our primary streamer and the guy who runs the circus, uh, Stevie Strobridge. Hey, I'm excited to be here. I think we're going to have a great show today. I think so, too. It's great to have you. Uh, next up, we have our Alan Murphy. How you doing, Alan? Howdy, howdy, everybody. Nice. I'm doing all right. Hope you all uh, are. All right. Nice to see you. Uh, we're going to skip over our guest of honor. And uh, we're going to move. Oh, wait a sec. Yeah, I'm, I'm losing uh, track here. Uh, I'm going to go off my other list because it's more, uh, it doesn't move around. Uh, we have fellow Canadian, L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. I was just going to mention Stevie's the, uh, the prime streamer of Horse Beep. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, be I believe the term is equestrian manure. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Curtis. Uh, Fertilizer for the mind. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Patrick Euland, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. But I have to object. Runs is kind of a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> glad, glad to have you here. Uh, we have Brian, the music man, Shoebring. Hello. Hello, hello, everybody. And uh, glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Uh, next up, we have the uh, Thunder from Down Under, the busiest man in Coco software development, Nick Morentes. <laughs> Did I miss anything? <laughs> oh. See, he's so busy, he can't stay awake during the show. He's just exhausted. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Glad the to secret have is you. he does that while coding as well. Anyway, go ahead. Glad to have you here. Uh, now we have the man with 2020 vision, Ron Delvaux. Hey. How you doing, Ron? Pretty darn good. So you have perfect vision, but yet uh, you don't have the vision to uh, stay away from our show. Uh, no. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> a, maybe he has a hearing loss. I'm not sure. Oh, that might be it. Well, glad it to could, have you here. It could be arranged. <laughs> and uh, on the road, we have Terry Stiggy. Greetings and salutations, everyone. We should we should mention he's running for vice president of Glenside oh, Color Computer right. Club too. Vice presidential candidate Terry Steggy. That's right. He's on <laughs> he's on the election uh, campaign right now. He's off to a small town to. Uh, How did the debates go this week, Terry? For the uh, well, good. I was kissing some babies and got puked on, but other than that, we're doing good. So out there yes. shaking hands and kissing babies and huh? pressing the flesh. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yes, you don't don't shake the babies and kiss hands. Make sure uh, you get the <laughs> well, they, they ran me out on a rail when I said, hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Are you excited to vote for me for Glenside? <laughs> yeah, I don't think my chances are too good anymore. <laughs> and now we have a man who keeps his eyes forever on eBay looking for the latest acquisition, uh, Brian Weasler. Hello, welcome all. I'm uh, I'm going to be uh, Ron's twin today. Hey. Yep. All right. Welcome to the show. 
And uh, finally, we have our guest of honor. Uh, his name is Pat Randolph. He also goes by the name Dinty. And uh, he has a uh, YouTube channel, Dinty's Hideaway. And welcome to the show. Hi, How everybody. are you doing? Good. Glad to be here. So we like to do a little something with the, uh, the new, new people, a little hazing ritual, if you will, um, called This Is Your Life. So if you could, uh, would like to go ahead and tell us what you think we should know about you. Well, I run a uh, channel called Dinty's Hideaway. It's a new channel, replacing my old channel. And there's literally tens of people who have watched it. So, uh, And I, am, uh, I used to work for Gateway Computers for about 10 years. I worked for Radio Shack and we're kind of all around the computer industry for about 30 years. And the primary purpose of uh, what I'm doing is I'm trying to document history that was not recorded on paper. Uh, and so I'm afraid it will be kind of lost forever if we don't document it. So that's what I'm trying to do in kind of a uh, entertaining news magazine type format. So it's kind of the goal. That's a very noble goal because this stuff is really important and, and it's important to keep track of it and have it available for future generations. So that's, that's really great. So what's yeah. your history with the Coco uh, or Tandy or what have you? Well, I worked for Tandy for a few years as a, a store manager and as a buyer. Um, and uh, uh, I got to know, basically I have a really have a lot of respect for Radio Shack and Tandy and Charles Tandy um, and very little uh, experience with the Coco prior to, this month, uh, this last September, I decided to focus on the cocoa, and I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, and I bought everything I thought I could buy. Of course, Stevie told me about some stuff last night I haven't bought that I could buy. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm building up, uh, you know, one super cocoa over here, and then I'm going to give it away uh, when I reach, I think, 250 subscribers or something like that. And uh, uh, so that's what I'm doing with it. But yeah, that's just basically it. This oh, nice. is cocoa is new for me. Excellent. Yeah, Subtandy this year has been really focused a lot on the cocoa. It's been really good for us, uh, for our community. So that, that's wonderful that uh, you've taken part in that. And uh, you posted some video uh, interviews with... Um, um, sorry. John Roach. John, John Roach. Thank you. What, a, what a catch that was. Yeah. Yeah. So I know yeah. we, you and I talked about this briefly last, last night, but tell everybody, how did you get a hold of John Roach? I mean, what's the process there? <laughs> well, you know, I've done this a bunch in my old channel. I've got some uh, interviews with some of the founders of iOmega uh, and people like that. And that, that's basically the entire purpose is to get to these people, right? Uh, John Roach is in, a, in his 80s, and I'd venture to guess he's the, well, the last surviving executive uh, who put Radio Shack, uh, t- you know, Tandy computers together. I'm sure there's still some people who are, did design and programming. Um, and uh, he, uh, in his case, uh, he had a, uh, a graduate school named after him at uh, Texas Christian University. When I saw that, I just uh, emailed the provost and they got a hold of John and I did the interview. Uh, he was a very good interview subject. It was an hour and a half of just him talking. I was pretty it was much, very entertaining, I have to say. <laughs> like, yeah, he is a, he's a funny guy. And he, yeah, I, I love him. So Texas charms. Now you said it was an hour and a half. Did you edit some of that out? Well, I haven't released the last part of the interview. Ah, Okay. Okay. I've only gone so far uh, up uh, through the Coco one and the next part of the interview will go all the way from the Tandy 2000 to the end of the line. Um, And that, that part, I just couldn't get mixed in time for the end of uh, of the month, but I'll put that out in the next few days. Yeah, I like the format. I like how you have kind of the uh, visual overlay. So as the people are talking, we're seeing kind of a picture of what's going on there, too. I think that's very helpful rather than just seeing the guy's face the whole time. So the uh, kind of montage, video montage element you bring to it, I thought was a very nice touch. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, and, and one of the things that I, I kind of have to do because a lot of my subjects are pretty old. So a lot of what it's a lot of times I'll have to break it in the middle of the interview and explain what it is they're talking about. You know, in the uh, in the Charles Tandy uh, discussion, which is really my favorite my favorite video I put out so far, and it's also the fewest views, which isn't isn't at all unusual, I don't think. But uh, we did an interview discussing just Charles Tandy. And in the middle of that break, he kept talking about how, well, Tandy's made a bunch of millionaires. I had to actually break in and talk about the formula by which Charles Tandy tried to make people millionaires. Wow. And so, yeah, stuff like that. It's, 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 that's stuff like that's cool to me. I, you know, I know it's uh, kind of nerdy, but there you go. I love doing stuff like no, that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to ask you, too, uh, are you familiar with the history of the Cocoa book that Boise Pete and Bill Luguidas did? No, I'm not. Dave, I don't know if you can see it here on the screen here, but... Uh... They, they interviewed some of the people at Tandy and stuff here, too, and, and kind of went through that from the Cocoa perspective, obviously. So they went through Project Green Thumb and a bunch of other things, too. So that might be a good background material for you for further interviews as well. Yeah, it is really good. And, I, you know, and it's interesting because um, uh, there are a number of, of, of things that I read in the Internet that were debunked by, uh, uh, by John. Now, again, that's just his opinion, right? But uh, one of the primary things I was really surprised about was it's my understanding that Motorola had a great deal to do with the development of the uh, Cocoa, and uh, he disagreed. Uh, he said that uh, Motorola, although they did do the chips and they were helpful, that it was pretty, it was pretty much Radio Shacks and Tandy's guys who did most of the work. So I found that to be an interesting thing. So there are a number of things in there, and a lot, a lot more having – and also that uh, uh, Bill Gates wrote uh, the uh, basic – and that he says it was one of the last things that Bill Gates ever did, according to Bill Gates, hmm. uh, by himself. So uh, he says, soup to nuts, Bill Gates wrote it. And uh, and that was the last project he ever actually did entirely on his own. So, oh, so wow. that's interesting, too. Yeah. And we had, we had some other people comment that, that, that they, they had heard different stories. But, of course, you know, this is coming right from the horse's mouth, too. So unless, unless Bill Gates comes and contests it, uh, I'd say he's probably. Well, by the way, I believe Ron Delvo is going to have lunch with Bill Gates next week. So he will be probably be on next week's show. So <laughs> stay, stay tuned with that. I, I asked you on your chat too. Is like you when you first posted one of the videos there. I happened to catch it just as you posted it. You weren't even planning on premiering it at that time, so I like posted a response. All of a sudden, it went back down again, <laughs> and then you put it back up. But one of the questions I asked: Are you still in contact with John Roach? Because one thing we've been trying to find out for ages here. We've talked to Mark Siegel and some of the other people that were involved with some of the Tandy computer stuff as well. Nobody seems to want to say how many Cocos were actually sold over the course of, of its lifetime at Tandy. And I'm wondering if you've heard anything further on that or if you've been able to get in contact with him about that. Actually, yeah, I have. And he doesn't know. But very interestingly enough, what I did, was able to get a hold of was Tandy uh, had archives uh, back when they were actually a corporation. And there is still a guy who has those archives. Uh, so I would assume that in those archives would be sales figures. So I'm in touch with that guy. And that's how I'm trying to answer that question. But I'm actually pretty curious about that myself. Um, the other one I want to know about is uh, the incredible failure, which was a Tandy 2000. Um, and uh, uh, you haven't heard this yet, and you will, but John Roach primarily blames Bill Gates for the failure of the Tandy 2000. Uh, it was, uh, he pushed Windows 1.0 heavily on John, and John agreed to launch it with the Tandy 2000. He says the result of that, the hardware changes they had to make to make that software run made, made the system impossibly slow and required that they use a 256 kernel to, to 256 day kernel to make it run. So uh, it's, um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's interesting. And uh, he blames. So I thought that's interesting. I want to know more about how few uh, they actually sold because then Tandy Circles, you know, the joke was, of course, that we had 7,000 Radio Shack stores and they sold 7,001 Tandy 2000s because John bought the other one. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't sell well at all. I just, I'd like to know how, exactly how badly it sold. Yeah, I mean, I remember it. it had very advanced graphics for the time, but yeah, it didn't have anything really to show it off. And even Steve Bjorks mentioned that he wrote one or two games for it, but it wasn't really meant as a game machine, so they never went anywhere either. No. Oh. I have one. 2000? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Well, what ultimately happened to all of them is that uh, Radio Shack still did handwritten tickets up until the middle of 1988. So between the time that was released... I believe it was in 84, maybe 84, I think. And the, uh, and the middle of 1988, all those machines operated as the in-store Radio Shack uh, store management systems. Mm-hmm. Store um, operating system. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that worked out pretty well. And that was originally what they, the original uh, TRS-80 uh, Model 1. Uh, that was what they said. That was their backup plan for that computer if it failed. Yeah, but didn't end up store. selling 50,000 units by Christmas the very first year. <laughs> exactly, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. And then 100,000, I think, by, you know, six months later or something like that. That was about one of the last times they actually released sales figures for any of the tier cities that I know of. Yeah, and, that, and the thing about that is that's really where someone like John Roach makes a big difference because, as you're probably aware, Commodore failed several times trying to figure out proper inventory for their computers and how to get stuff ramped up quickly. And that was something that Radio Shack was really, really good at when it made them almost unique in the marketplace because they had the maturity to really get that stuff uh, assembled and assembled right, you know, and trouble free. Uh, and Atari and Commodore just couldn't do that. So uh, it's a shame that uh, uh, everybody always talks about how great Commodore is. I, I think that I think that uh, uh, that Tandy really gets uh, kind of short shrifted because of the fact that uh, uh, you know they don't, they don't really pay much attention to quality control, and the Tandy's was really superior. So that was cool about John, and I'm glad we had him to do that. I believe the phrase was Tandy clearly superior. <laughs> yes. Yes, that was one of them. That was what Bill Bixby used to say. They also had superior again. Again. Uh, my favorite was even more superior. Yeah. So now, since Pat, you haven't released the, the final interview here, I was wondering, does, do you, does he go into any of the stuff with Intertan, the, the international? Like, I live in Canada, so obviously we went through Intertan, which is based in Ontario. And uh, they were the ones that handled you know, sales to Australia, Europe, UK, etc. Did he go into any of that, or was that out of his ballpark? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there really wasn't anything out of his ballpark, and that's that's one of the problems, is that he had so much on his plate. There's a lot of stuff he didn't talk about he probably could have. Um, what he did talk about a lot was his frustration with Dragon, uh, and uh, that that will come that will come later um, in a number of other companies that he didn't feel did, did a good job for him. Uh, Intertown was something that they were allowed to do because it was in Canada. In the United States... Radio Shack had a very strong dealer network, and the dealer network was very much against anyone other than a Radio Shack dealer or a Radio Shack-owned store selling anything Tandy-branded. So um, in the United States, Walmart actually sold a version of the uh, Tandy 1000 SX called the Tandy 1000 AX for a while, and they had to pull it back because uh, literally the, uh, they were trying to get uh, John removed as CEO because he did that. He made that deal. I, I do have one of those. The AX, yeah. Yeah, and I, I know that there's some people in Australia who have it, which is weird, uh, but most most people I've seen have AXs around Australia. But, yes, there are a few of them around. I mean, he actually did sell some. Uh, so th- those those deals, and I think there was a store in uh, Great Britain that sold some candy stuff, too, uh, only existed outside the U.S. And so the only, only real discussion we had about that was how um, they were unable to get any, any foothold in Europe because of uh, – of, uh, of, of the Dragon computers, which he thought, you know, were inferior to uh, the Tandys, but of course, he would think that. 
Pat, did he, did he mention anything about the Tandy distributor products label, like doing the TDP 100, which is a brief foray into non-Radio Shack stores in 83 that kind of collapsed within a year? Yep, I was I was just going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, he didn't do that. And uh, and it's funny because uh, when he got into, he, he, did, he went over pretty quickly at the other uh, Tandy brands because uh, over a period of time, you know, I, there were a lot of them. I mean, it's my understanding that at one point they owned Tier 1 Imports, they owned Color Tile. Um, and so he glossed over that stuff and I kind of wished he hadn't. Uh, but like I said, the guys in his eighties, he didn't hear all that well. And, um, he was talking the entire interview. So, uh, yeah, no, I didn't get it. He didn't get into that as much as I would have liked. Um, but in terms of getting you guys the sales figures on Coco's, I'm pretty sure they've got to exist somewhere. And since we do have an archivist with the archives, hopefully we can get a hold of that information and I can bring it on. Maybe next time I come on, I'll send it, I'll send it to you as soon as I get it. But that was, uh, that was a question I also had. Okay. Does, is there is there any chance of doing a follow up interview with him if if a bunch of us come up with some other questions type thing or is he was that a one shot deal basically? Uh, no, it's absolutely possible to do a follow up interview. I may not be doing maybe I'm not doing a video, but I can certainly do it over the phone. So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, if you guys want to come up with some with a list of questions, that's great. Um, and uh, and I also again I have the archivist to back up uh, any any information that John can't give me or remind him that doesn't so happen. I think that might be you know when someone's in their eighties, sometimes it's easier to do it that way. So. Uh, I certainly can do that. Okay. Because one thing we found, like when we've done some interviews with some of the, like the programmers and stuff and other people involved with the Cocoa and its past is that sometimes if you get some of their fellow coworkers on at the same time, we did this with the ImageWorks, for example, we had four of them on and all of a sudden they would just say something that would trigger a memory that they normally wouldn't have came up with. And we do have a couple other people from Tandy, like Mark Siegel's still around. He's still active in Facebook. So I was wondering if maybe we can get a, a dual interview where they, since they work together, maybe we can, you know, get some stories remembered that wouldn't be remembered otherwise. Absolutely. I think that's, that's great. Um, his, his primary concern, I think, was he wanted to make sure that people knew how great Charles Tandy was. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think since we got, we got that out, he, he seemed pretty happy with that, with that video. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, we can, I, think, I think as long as he's physically able to do it, he'll be happy to talk to us. Yeah, I really like the story about the, the, the fire at the Radio Shack franchise there that they talked about during his interview. So. <laughs> Yeah, that would, that would be definitely lost to history. No question. I don't think, yeah. He's probably the only person who still remembers that fire, I would guess. Yeah, that was good. Oh, I have to ask, you know, just my curiosity's burning here, but how, how did you come up with the nickname Dinty? Okay, so I um, I worked for Gateway Computers for a long, long time. In fact, that was my primary job um, in a, you know, a whole variety of capacities. I loved Gateway. It was I started there, uh, I was the 70, I was uh, employee number 764. So I was a, got there pretty early. And uh, at Gateway, everyone has to have a unique name. And the reason is because when you call Gateway to ask for someone, you, you generally would ask for someone by their first name. So that means at one point we had like 10,000 phone employees and all of them had to have a unique name. And it got, and you know, Dinty was actually a pretty new one there. People had to, you know, make up named Dario was one of them. And they had to completely make up names because they ran out of regular <laughs> names. But uh, that's where Dinty came from. And I've just kind of stuck with me. Um, and, uh, so yeah, people called in and said, Hey, I'd like to talk to Ted. Well, there was only one Ted. It was Ted Waite. So that was the reason they did that. And that's where Ditchie comes from. Okay. So did it have any like meaning? Was it an, an anagram or something or a short? No, no, Ditchie is actually Irish. Uh, and it's short for Dennis. I have an uncle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If, if I could ask a question, um, you said, uh, you worked for Gateway. Were you in the North Sioux city offices? Uh, well, I, I don't know if you're aware of this. Gateway started a, a Kansas City office, uh, and they began preparing to do that in '94, which is what I was hired to do. So, 
Um, I spent a lot of time up there, uh, but I did not, uh, I didn't work there primarily. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is that I worked at Gateway in 94, so I worked in North Sioux. So we were probably at the company at the same time. So, But you probably knew Todd Coyle. Todd Coyle was my manager when I first Okay. Started. The name sounds familiar. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Everybody knew Todd Coyle. Yeah. But yeah, no, there were, yeah, no, I, I, that's right. I probably wouldn't have met you because uh, even in 94, Gateway was getting pretty big. By the end of mm-hmm. 95, it was gigantic. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes. but yeah, yeah. I was with that Kansas City contingent that came in around that time. Oh, just a curiosity question. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, Pat, I'm going to call you Dinty there for a second. What What was your first computer that you got into? Like, if you know, if you, if if an eight bit machine was your first love, what was yours? Well, yeah, I was really lucky because you know my father was a law professor, and he, uh, you know, they have the uh, the publisher parish uh, saying for them, and he was trying to get tenure, so he had to buy a computer. So he bought a in 1979 or 78. It may have been Christmas 70. He bought the the original Apple II. And brought it home, and uh, and it was, and we had, uh, I had, we were four people in our family, and we used it so much that we actually had a timesharing system, uh, and I would get it between like midnight and four a.m. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, I mean, it was incredible. There's no, it was unbelievable. I, I had used a pet uh, in school prior to that briefly. I'd written a couple software packages for it because you can't. There's nothing for the pet. If you want to do anything fun on it, you had to write it right. Uh, and it was amazing. The first time I played uh, uh, Brickout on uh, the uh, Apple II, I was just like, wow, you mean they actually make these? You can run it, you know, you, somebody makes it for you? You know, so I was, I was hooked. Uh, and uh, I used an Apple II for a long time. And then uh, uh, when, that, when that finally got uh, taken away to my dad's office, I bought a TI-99-4A. Uh, so that, that was my 8-bit computing history. Nate, Nate. Pretty similar to mine. I started on the pet in school as well. Then the Apple II Plus in school, same thing. You know what color? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. If you think about it, I mean, uh, I had an eighty-column card, and I remember my uh, my dad had a uh, at, at the at the law school. They had a digital word processing system, which was a really amazing system. It was networked, and it had eighty columns, and you know, uh, different color monochrome screens, and. Uh, boy, that's really amazing. And he brought it home, and this also had 80 columns. You know, it's like, that's incredible. You think about it, back in the late 70s, uh, anything with 80 columns was just unbelievably good. That was kind of like the, for me, that was a litmus test. If you do 80 columns, it was an incredible thing, you know? So, uh, yeah, the Apple II is neat. Um, I'm not sure I would have bought it, but that's what we got, and I was really happy to get it. Yeah, they were a bit expensive at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. I probably would have gotten Commodore 64. And it's funny that all my friends ended up getting Commodore 64s or Atari 800s. And, you know, we could never buy any of that stuff. I never had a video game system because, you know, I remember one summer we decided if we were going to go on a family vacation or buy a second disk drive for the Apple. And it was a second disk drive for the Apple. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, <laughs> yeah, there was no extra money. Yeah, so that, yeah, so that was just the Apple II. That's incredible. That would have been pretty similar to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how long have you been on uh, YouTube, Pat? You say, you say you kind of rebranded or rebooted your channel now. I noticed that your new channel, Dinty's Hideaway, just went up in August. So, like, you know, roughly a month ago. But how long were you on before that? Uh, for a couple of years, I did a channel uh, called Dinty's, uh, sorry, GW2K Forever. Uh, and it was originally designed to focus on, on gateway computers, but... You know, there's so much else out there and so much more interesting than Gateway. Gateway's got some great history and some very interesting stories, but you get past the destination and the handbook, and there's not really a whole lot else to talk about that's great, interesting. So I immediately kind of expanded, and um, um, I got uh, 
I, I, I interviewed a bunch of people. Uh, Rubenstein, the guy who made, uh, um, shoot, I want to Wordstar, one of the original guys of Wordstar is where I started. And, uh, and I scheduled an interview with him, and I was, I was waiting to have an interview with him. He had a stroke, and then I think he might be dead now, but he couldn't do the interview. And uh, that really reminded me of just how important it was we get these guys interviewed. So um, I, that's when I really started on that quest. So unfortunately, when you go down that road, stuff happens very, very slowly. So um, I, I, got, I got caught up on doing a uh, – I was trying to do a history of uh, computing in Utah, around 1980, you know, Novell, WordPerfect, and um, iOmega all propped up within a few miles of each other, all in the same year. Um, and, uh, and I got into doing that. It took me so long. Um, I have, it became my history of the world part one. I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't go beyond that. And it went warm. So for above, um, almost two years, I stopped doing that. Um, and uh, I took a job working for another guy, uh, who I, I won't mention because I'm under a non-disclosure, but a, another really important guy in the computer industry working for him doing research. And now that that relationship's over, I can come back and start doing my own stuff. So that's why I'm doing it. Cool. Are, are you keeping your old channel around, or are you going to import those videos into this new generalized channel that's all computer history? It's got, I have the I have the I have it in my old my uh, in the uh, uh, folder that's got the, uh, the videos categorized as my old channel videos. So yeah, they're there. Um, and again, they're not, the production value isn't great. I've gotten a lot better at that stuff over time. Uh, but yeah, it's really hard to balance. Cause you know, I don't want to just go out there with three hour computer history videos. Cause even that's interesting to me, it's interesting to everybody. Uh, so I'm trying to balance it down to computer magazine format. If you go to the channel, you'll see that, uh, you know, I've got, uh, my dog does uh, consumer advice segments um, and stuff like that, just stuff to keep it interesting. Um, and uh, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make it uh, appealing to a mainstream because, you know, if a tree falls in a forest, nobody hears it, you know, or nobody sees it. Right. So that's, right. that's the thing. So I really want to make sure that people actually can benefit from all this research and, and interviews I'm doing. So. And have you found the Septandy thing has really helped your channel as well since you started it just before Septandy started? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't. It was. It's what inspired me. You know, um, there's a guy named Mr. Lurch. I don't know if any of you guys yep. know him. Yeah, yes. he's. We've presented some of his videos on the show too. He's part of the Septandy thing. So. Okay, great. You know, he's he's a uh, he's a really great guy, and uh, you know, he is a the kind of guy who puts his whole everything he's got is out there on the screen when he does his videos, and that's real inspiring to me. You know, and I you know I think to myself, well, geez, you know, I could. I could probably contribute a lot and not have to really kill myself to do it. And a bunch of people did the eight bit guy, David Murray does that, you know? And uh, so those guys kind of inspired me to kind of come back and get going again. I think it was just coincidental. It happened to be around, uh, uh, around Septandy. Uh, but you know, there's just so many people I like who are doing stuff. There's another guy, another uh, group called newsmakers tech. I don't know if you've ever talked to any of those yep. guys yeah, uh, and, and they're, they're great guys. And uh, so all these guys I liked were doing some Tandy videos. So I, I thought it was a good time to kind of jump back in. Yeah, they've got another uh, Coco video lined up to come out here after Tandy ended in October too, just like your third part of the right. interview with John Roach. So yeah, no, 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 they're, they're great guys. Now, Pat, since you've uh, watched all 178 of our shows, um, I was wondering <laughs> what you thought of us or how you found us. Uh, well, okay, so I found you, uh, and not surprisingly, because I was trying to figure out how to do some stuff on my cocoa, and uh, and this show just kept popping up, uh, <laughs> and uh, and it, it's where I found out about the cocoa VGA, um, it's where I found out about the cocoa SDC, it's where I found out I get the three megahertz uh, Hitachi chip, which uh, 
Stevie told me last night, basically, it's like turning my computer up to 11. It doesn't really do anything. You don't change the crystal. But <laughs> it's my computer still goes to 11. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, so no, that's, how I, that's how I found out about the channel. And it, it's a lot of fun. I've actually been watching, for the last month at least, all the episodes that come out. It's, it's, it's interesting. So I'm glad to be here. Cool. Well, if you've got too much money sitting in your pockets, do you need ways to spend it on Coco? Well, this group <laughs> is really excellent in advice for you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Also, since you're you're into the whole interview scene here with interviewing some of the, the people that, you know, created the industry, too, we've done a series of interviews in the past as well, uh, like like the, the image producers I mentioned earlier. Like, they were one of the people that were in on the ground floor when Tandy was designing the Coco. They actually got one of the, on in a wooden box, breadboarded in a locked room that you had a special access to get to, and they were programming it with a raw breadboard sitting on this wood box in like February of 1980, like months before the Coco actually got released. And we have an interview with them and how that whole system was set up. They had a timeshare, like you were mentioning, they had to take turns, you know, getting access to the Coco, et cetera. So there's a lot of good interviews we've done too, that if you want to, maybe, you know, we can get you in contact with some of those people if, if they're of interest to you to do a further interview with. Well, you know, what's historically uh, interesting and I think valuable about the uh, Coco is the fact that um, uh, unlike other 8-bit computers, Coco's had such legs you know, uh, people still talk. Obviously, this show still happens, but there's no show like this for TI-994A. <laughs> if, you, if, you, uh, if, if you lay out the Coco and the TI-994A in terms of uh, corporate support, the TI had a lot more. They spent a lot more money on it. You know, they had the peripheral expansion bay. You know, they had all this stuff, and they sold a lot, a lot of those. People always talk about that. No, they sold two and a half million TI-994As and 250,000 peripheral expansion boxes, and they're still out there, and you can still buy them for nothing. But nobody's making stuff for TI-94A, and there's still a bunch of people making stuff for the Coco. What is it about the Coco? What makes it unique? Um, and a Commodore 64, just in terms of mass numbers, was going to have a was going to have a following, you know. We know that, but you know the the Atari eight uh, bit machines and the Texas Instruments eight bit machines have nothing compared to the following of the Coco. Uh, so at some point, I want to do a video just focused on that. Cool, and yeah, I have we're, to agree. We're a very loyal bunch. Uh, <laughs> I think we always were this kind of the underdog. I think back in the day, and we're kind of you know have that you know loyal kind of attitude. Yeah, yeah it was just road. Oh, go ahead. But I was just going to say it was kind of us against a lot of the other 8-bits, but it was also us against some of Tandy in the later years as well. When the Tandy 1000 became really successful, you know, a lot of the attention to the Coco was kind of dropped off, even though they did keep producing it right through till 91. But Actually, it's interesting you mentioned that in my next video with John Roach. Uh, you'll see what happened there financially. Uh, but uh, there's an explanation for that that I had not um, actually heard up until recently. Um, and uh, it surprised me. Uh, but apparently the issue was money strictly. It had nothing to do with uh, uh, John Roach, actually. Uh, and he mentioned that in the first video. He talked about the fact that he did uh, understand that there was a lot of support for the Coco, although he didn't understand why. He never really got it, but he understood that there was, you know, and he was not. I mean, he was an engineer by by uh, by education, but, you know, he had an MBA. He was a he was a you know, he was a, a suit. So. Uh, he, I think he had a lot of respect for the Coco in terms of what it was doing, but he never really understand why anyone would want to buy it. In fact, I remember him talking about the fact that he, he wasn't even sure if they needed a color computer in the beginning. You know, it kind of, yeah, kind of, he talked into it. And then I say a color computer, I mean a computer with color graphics, not, not the color <laughs> computer itself. Um, so uh, it's, uh, it is interesting. And, uh, and I think in the second video, you'll see uh, Tandy kind of fell apart all at the same time and all for the same reason. 
you know, uh, was there going to be a Coco four? Yes, there probably was. Why didn't it come out? It's not for the reason you thought, but I'll kind of let you, I'll tease that on the uh, next video. Good teaser. Yeah. Yeah. You know, It'll be interesting have, to compare we, his story, too, with, with what's in the book there, because there's actually a prototype case of the Coco 4 that Boise had found, and he's got pictures of it in the book itself there. Um, so it would be interesting to hear what uh, John's story is behind it compared to some of the engineer's story behind it who may not have known some of the upper management details. And I also, you're probably not aware of this, but I, I, you know, Tan, uh, the way Tandy operated and the way Sega operated were very similar. And, uh, and John actually studied a lot of, uh, a lot of Japanese business uh, uh, tactics, and he, and he really followed Sega a lot. Uh, he doesn't talk about that very much, but you can tell historically if you look at what he did and what Sega did. And, uh, and he pulled back on a lot of stuff that I think people would consider to be premature uh, because uh, he, he didn't want the balance sheet to swing too low the next quarter. Um, and fortunately or unfortunately, whatever that does for innovation, that's kind of the way he ran his business. So just like Sega, there are a lot of things that almost everyone would say, well, that was a dumb move. You know, but uh, he, had, he had explanations as to why he did it. You know, we have a uh, section of our show called Why Did Tandy Do That? <laughs> yeah, we should get John on as a guest for one of those. I think show's only four hours, right? I don't think that's going to be enough time if we get John. <laughs> so well, we've gone up to over six, so that yeah, we can so, work around so it. So the, 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 the buzz phrase, the catchword of last week that I kind of latched onto that I loved was that um, – Equestrian, equestrian manure drop that he did, which I loved, which did not get censored out of your video. Was there anything you had to censor from his interview or cut out just because you thought it was too much or too vulgar or anything like that? Or are we going to hear everything? He, you hear everything, but here's the thing about you. Now, Charles Tandy had a mouth on him, and he had a reputation for that, no question. Uh, he was an honorary Texan. He was actually from Massachusetts, I believe. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, Charles Tandy, if, if I had a chance to interview, of course, he died. You know, he died at age 60 with a cigar in his mouth. But uh, a long, long time ago, he cussed a lot. And, uh, and when, they, when they brought John Roach up, we're bringing him up, he was the counterbalance to Charles Tandy. So, no, he is – the fact that he said that on the air is uh, – would surprise me too. Uh, but before he said it, he kind of, he kind of stumbled and hemmed and hawed for a minute and said, well, I, I guess this is okay. Cause it's been documented a lot, but he, he said, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> the <laughs> so, disclaimer, huh? <laughs> a disclaimer. Yeah. But no, you would normally never say anything like that. In fact, in fact uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that I think that was a, that was the strongest language you could possibly use to uh, voice his displeasure at Bill Gates contract. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got you got to admit this is, the phrase horseshit sounds so much better in a in a Texan accent, right? Oh exactly. yeah. You, yeah. Say that. you, 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 you can't you can't say horseshit without saying it like a Texan. That's that, just... that, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's it's two two syllable words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going along with Steve's question though, was there anything that John himself after doing the full interview with you kind of said, you know, maybe that shouldn't go out or was he completely open everything can be published? Um well, there was some stuff that I brought up that he he didn't like. He didn't want to talk about, um, and it was primarily around the fact that I, I that he got uh, Bernie Appel got promoted and put in his place at one point, uh, and uh, uh, he didn't talk about Bernie Appel. I don't think he and Bernie got along very well, um, and he didn't talk about that. And I actually knew Bernie Appel because I was in the Los Angeles region. And Bernie Appel liked to come out to Los Angeles a lot. And I didn't think he liked, I don't think he liked to go to Fort Worth as little as he possibly could. Uh, but, um, uh, but yeah, and, and uh, he didn't talk about him. And, uh, you know, and there were several attempts for them to remove John from the board. 
over 20 years that he was there. Um, originally, it was the distributors, and they were actually going to sue Tandy, and he, he had to back down on the stuff. And then later on, uh, there was some, uh, you know, we didn't get into this too much, but there was some, the, there were some uh, arguments over whether they were going to keep on doing R&D and pushing into the computer industry like he wanted to, or were they going to do, uh, fo- focus on big box stores? Uh, and, uh, and I think that and even though he takes full responsibility for the failure of Incredible Universe and Computer City, um, I think that he was pushed that way. He didn't talk much about that because that's just not his style. But uh, uh, there's a lot of discussion and at the uh, at you know at the end of why you know not why he thinks that Tandy failed and or Radio Shack failed in general, but not a lot of specifics. Um, okay. So yeah, and I so I think that's what he, he censors himself, but I was able to ask him anything I wanted to. Okay. It's interesting you mentioned some parallels to Tandy and Sega that I did not previously catch up on. But Sega is also like one of my favorite things. Like if it, when it comes to video, like Coco is my first love for computers. But the Sega Genesis was like my first love and still a long passion I have for the Sega console line. Um, and it is interesting how they made <clears throat> some really screwy mistakes. They, they were very innovative for a long time and it's made some really bonehead moves and then it's, it's kind of like Radio Shack became irrelevant and then just gone. So the fact that he mirrored them and they ended up with kind of the same destiny, uh, you know, is interesting. Those, those parallels, literal parallels, you know? And there's no question that the Tandy 2000, which I was talking about earlier and uh, his decision to, to, to get rid of that, the spending, I bet, I bet I would, you know, he said he spent $150,000 on R and D for the Coco one. And if you know, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say John's cheap, but he certainly is uh, thrifty. We'll say. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, uh, he, and I think, I do believe that that's around the, around the amount of money he's spending that computer to market, which is unbelievably cheap. Um, uh, and it's funny, the, the uh, I Omega to get their Bernoulli drive, uh, which had already been developed as a technology that they got from IBM. So it was already there. IBM just gave it to them because they weren't going to use it. To get that from concept to production cost $5 million in the same year that Charles Tandy spent $150,000 getting the color computer one from, you know, from concept to production. Uh, it really, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, next the TRS-80 model one, excuse me. So that was really a remarkable thing. Um, and uh, I understand that he lost almost a billion dollars on the, uh, the Tandy 2000. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it just eventually just stopped chasing it and just cut it off like that. And I know he got that idea from the way that Sega had done that so many times where they, you know, the Dreamcast is of course a real famous one, but there are many ones on the way to the Dreamcast where they just, they, they really put a lot of money out there, a lot of infrastructure. And then they just, all of a sudden one day just shut it down. And, uh, Charles did that a few times. Uh, but the most famous one was the Candy 2000. Stevie, did you see the notes? I do see that some people are saying that the YouTube feed has died. I don't know. I'm trying to check it on my phone. It, it did for me, too. Okay. I have no idea what to say or do about that. But, okay. Um, Just want to uh, make sure you're aware. Yep. Yep. Okay. So Frodo just said YouTube is dead as well. All right. So, all right. Well, so, so uh, Twitch is still working. Um, Dave Phillipson says mine is replaying a segment over and over again. Okay. All right. Okay. I don't know what to say. We the show has to keep going. So maybe okay. maybe YouTube will fix itself. Maybe it won't. We will be able to. I'll be able to extract this file from Twitch if I can't get it from YouTube later on. Um, 
Uh, well, we could talk about this all day, and maybe we will. Uh, but <laughs> uh, we are definitely glad. Yeah, the viewership just went way down. Right. So um, let's just do that. Let's just put out some. Yeah, maybe post some of the yeah, links to the alternate. The, the, the Twitch and then. Um, the joys yeah. of doing a show live. Yeah, even a refresh isn't fixing it. Okay, so I don't know if uh, I don't know if this is a restream issue or if this is a Facebook uh, is working face- confirmation. Yeah, so I, I'm being told that 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 Facebook is still streaming and that Twitch is still streaming. But yeah, 99 percent of our viewers are coming from YouTube, and we've just we've just lost them. Thanks YouTube or restream. I'm not sure what happened, but anyways, show must go on. Um, so that is a great interview, Pat. We are we're delighted that we came across it. Curtis came across it, and. Um, and we'd love to hear more from you and about your channel and everything you're doing. And, um, you know, feel free to chime in throughout the show. Feel free to come on anytime you want. All that good stuff. Um, how about we take a commercial break and then we're going to come back with one of Nick Marota's favorite segment. Nick, Nick, what's one of your favorite segments of the show? It's really the only segment I watch. It's the Game On Challenge results <laughs> so uh very popular segment with all the kids we've we've, we've run the uh we've run the the numbers and uh with the millennials and the tweens and and all those all the kids these days are talking about the game on challenge so we're trending good there. news everyone so a certain someone is back from hiatus a certain someone is back from hiatus okay we'll just have you to wait and see woke on up? that <laughs> all right well um, sorry what i miss We'll be back after these words, everybody. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? It's been more than a week, so we got a lot to catch up on. Please welcome Mindflare Retro, Mark. He's a YouTuber and Septandy contributor. He joined to learn more about the Coco 2. The only CJD, Chris, is back into the Coco after 20 years. Westy, Peter, found us through Facebook. He's setting up a Coco 3 and enjoys MMO gaming. Mike Miller is a UK Dragon enthusiast. He owns a Coco 3 and FM7 and, God forbid, enjoys OS9. Sloopy Malibu. Chris is an original Atari 8-bit user. He owns several retro systems, including the Apple, Coco, Model 100, and more. The Dave Carroll owns a Coco 2 that he plans to retro-bright. Frozen 001 Lou. The Coco was his first computer, which led him to a career in electronical and electronics engineering. Nate 87 learned about the Coco around 2002. He got a Coco 2 from Atari age, and he's a mess around with games, tapes, and basic. Color Basic Noob is looking for help with disc extended color basic and defi 2 david owns a coco one and three a model three and some amstrad cpcs he's looking for help with hdb dos and he's nick morenti's neighbor in australia we'd also like to give a special thanks to voice on tech our coco talk patrons david ladd jim rye paul fiscarelli rob inman and terry steggy for boosting the discord server join us on discord at discord.cocotalk.live See y'all on Discord. We will return after these messages. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works, so will you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's Color Computer 3 from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The Color Computer 3 makes learning fun. 
Jimmy even lets me use it for word processing. When he isn't playing computer games, lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced Color Computer 3, only at Radio Shack. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Strope. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. This is Ken Reichert, author of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. And you're experiencing... Coco Talk? Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Coco Fest. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Coco Fest Edition? Still low resolution, still digital to analog converted sound. More machine language. And basic Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Now includes the power of Terry to clear the road ahead. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Available as a DVD-ROM with all my past games as an alleged bonus. Including my unreleased fourth Rainbow Adventure contest entry. Unreleased for a reason. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Get your physical or digital copy at cancanmakeit.com. Now you've really paid too much. <laughs> Nick Marionette on Electricity. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Ah, Breaker 19, this here's the Tandy Mouse. You got a copy on me, Light Pen? Come on. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, 10 for Light Pen, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's a big mess. Clear the database. Come on. Yeah, it's a big 10-4 there, Light Pen. Yeah, we definitely got asteroids ahead, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive. Looks like we got to save this convoy. <laughs> From the dark of the moon, like some cartoons, there's nothing but giant rocks. Magnetic mines from front and behind, and alien ships stealing stocks. We is heading for Bear, where there's no air, about a parsec out of Alpha Base. I said, Light Pen, here's the Tandy Mouse, and I'm gonna have to put him in their place. <laughs> <laughs>
Cause we got a stellar lifeline bubbling through the stars. Yeah, we got a stellar lifeline. It might crash in the bars. Come on and shoot everything. And it's all just gonna get in our way. We protect this stupid convoy across the galaxy. Convoy. <laughs> That's great. God. Oh. There should be an apologies to CW in there somewhere. (laughs) I don't know how he got my gameplay footage, but that's pretty much the way I played the game. So Galaxy. That's that's the (laughs) Texas way right there. Where the hell in the galaxy you all from there? Don't bring none of that alien horse shit down here now. All right. I was going to say, we should have brought John on to do the voiceover for that one. It would have been awesome. All right. It is time for Nick Marenti's favorite part because his name is mentioned multiple times here. Here we go. High score challenge. All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week, we played Stellar Lifeline with 20 people. Coco Man, 20. <laughs> David Ladd, 280. Mark B, 2010. Mr. Dave, 6309, 2020. Calvin, 2190. Adam Tandy, Dragon Guy, 3000. Rogelio Perea, 3,420. Catlord, 3,950. Manny, 4,000. David O'Connor, 5,950. Me, 6,720. 8 Bits in the Basement, 7,230. Canadian Retro Things, 12,220. Jim Rye, 14,960. Frodo NL, 16,710. Tom C, 18,150. Sloopy Malibu, 18,400. David Craker, 20,720. Buck Owens, 28,580. And the number one score this week belongs to Tasman with 99,410. Way to go. Thank you to all this week's participants and to David O'Connor for suggesting the game. Wow. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a gap between uh, the Taz and the rest of us, but yes, and yes, he did wrap the score. He wrapped it at ninety nine thousand. Wow, good job, Taz man. And settled for the low score that he submitted. Thank you. So, yes, yes, you're too kind. And I, 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 I do apologize for saying this was Nick Morenti's favorite part of this show. It was Nick Nick Morota's favorite part. Sorry, Nick Morenti's. Did not mean to insult you that way. So, yeah, you yeah. don't want to put it, associate him with this piece. Yeah, of and we know Nick Morandi's hates the whole show. There's not one part of it he likes. So. <laughs> well, still, it might be his favorite part of. It's keeping me awake. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it sounds like we had some of the best uh, turnout in the galaxy this week on the game, huh? Yes. Can you see the proper screen? We certainly can. Thank you. Yes. All right. Yeah, we had a great turnout Thank this week you. with 20 people. I was very happy about that. Um, all right. I want to apologize. I actually did play it at the very beginning, but then I didn't realize it kept the score or didn't keep the score on the screen, so I didn't get to take a screenshot, and then I never got a chance to get back to it. So yeah, that was a challenge for sure. Okay, this is a Tasman uh, gameplay, but yes, it didn't leave much time to take uh, the pictures of the score. You had to pretty much have a camera on standby, ready to go. So, um, but yeah, people were able to do it. 
And uh, we had a good uh, good spread of scores. Tasman's been on a roll for the last uh, three or four weeks. He's been uh, he's been a machine. Um, so I looked for some high scores in that in rainbows, and there were none. And I'm wondering if it's because it was hard to get a picture or hard to write it down or whatever. But anyway, um, I did ask Tasman no for uh, since he clearly dominated this game. I asked him if he had any uh, tips, and. Uh, he basically played by uh, staying close to the convoy and spreading shots to the right and repeating. Um, and then, uh, you know, once it, go, it gets close to the end, you go, uh, you go back and just, just uh, up and down spraying shots and protecting the, the, them from behind. And uh, apparently once you get to the higher levels, the game slows down and uh, it messes with the timing. And um, yeah, so he uh, had quite a bit to say. Maybe I'll, um, it's in the uh, Discord channel if you want to read the full uh, text. But um, yeah, he, he did very well. So uh, for those of you who played, whether you submitted the score or not, uh, what did you think? How did, um, tips to play? Anything you want to say about the game? I was hoping Steve Bjork was going to be on because I was going to ask him. Like He has the rankings. He, he's keeping track of the scores because <clears throat> he says you know your ranking is number two or number three or whatever, but not having the scores displayed in any way, shape, or form. I'm just wondering why he made that design decision. Was he out of ROM space or? Yeah, you can never or... see the scores again. It's, it was a little bit frustrating for, uh, especially and a little for... bit odd because usually Steve's pretty good at that. So I was really curious. I was hoping he was beyond the day so we could find out exactly what was the design decision behind that. Yeah. I do have a question. You said the game slows down. So it's got like a change up when you start getting good. <laughs> I don't know why it slows down. He just says it slows down at the higher levels. Um, I'm going to have to play this enough to get there. I don't play video games much, so that's irritating. Is there more elements so on the I'm screen that you have to keep up with? Maybe. I'm sure. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm assuming it wasn't you know, by design necessarily, but, uh, I, yeah, I, that's, that's pretty much what he said. So I was hoping it would be designed. That would be fun. Video games always get faster and faster yeah, and faster. Yeah. And to suddenly get slower would be a yeah, good picture. Usually that happens <laughs> when you know the, the the CPU is having to multitask multiple objects on the screen and it slows down the game loop or something, you know. Um so, so yeah, as I, who knows? As I mentioned in the video, this was a suggestion by David O'Connor. He was very fond of this game, and a few people really enjoyed it. Uh, some people got frustrated with it, so it was one of those games that you either really liked or or, or uh, had trouble with. Um, but yeah, I, I had trouble with it. I made it to, I think I made it to level three once. Um, it was very challenging. So yeah, it's a definitely a neat concept. I didn't catch the defender um, element when the first time I played this. I mean, I mean the radar is you know was one thing, but the fact that yeah, you are kind of moving from left to right. Uh, you are having to protect things in Defender. You're protecting people. In this case here, you're protecting fuel pods or whatever. Um, yes. But yeah, the first time I played it, I didn't really catch the whole de- Defender similarity. I just thought it was a pretty unique space game, you know. And still, and I still think it kind of is, even though it is, there's some Defender inspiration. I would chalk this up as a fairly original type game. It has the too. same. It has the same gameplay in that you have to use the radar screen because the main screen doesn't have enough view ahead gotcha right the look ahead useful yeah yeah so you got that double-eyed thing where yeah well yeah you got to keep your eye on the other opposite side of the combo that you're on too and make sure that nobody's coming at you so 
And right. so, watching the radar is definitely important. Stevie, I think the reason I, I figured out it was a Defender clone was because when you blow up, it blows up like Defender. Ah. And I do that. <laughs> 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 you tested that really well, right? Yeah. yeah well, so yeah. Right. Well, Steve Bjork even mentioned it last week that he says, yeah, I wanted to do something like Defender, which uh, that was the first time I even you know considered the parallels but then i know a lot of people mentioned too yeah there's a lot, of, a lot of the comments this week people were saying yeah it does remind me of defender and i can see that i threw so many quarters into defender so yeah <laughs> but i like the uniqueness of it. i mean you're not only you're protecting a convoy which kind of simulates the protecting men from defender except the convoy's moving with you so it's mm-hmm. not like men you can just you know remember where they are they the whole thing shifting yeah but you also have to refuel from the convoy especially in later levels when your fuel goes down faster so you have to you know, drain them off as you go too. So the more you get destroyed, the less chance you have refueling. Did Defender Defender didn't have a fuel option, did it? No, nope. no. Just a number, just people. If you run out of people, then you ended up right, 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 in right. Bizarre hyper mode. Yeah, then you had the mutant swarm. Yeah, and then in later levels, of course, some of your convoy gets stolen away. So that's that's a neat element. Yeah. yeah, they'll drag it, and if you do go blow up the saucer that's dragging it, they might have dragged it like you know half the radar away. So now you can pretty well give up protecting it. It's too far away to get to without protecting the main convoy. Yeah, yeah, it is a kind of a neat concept where you kind of have to stay with them, and you got to look at things coming from both sides. You got rocks coming from behind. You've got, you know, you got spaceships. You got all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. It's neat to and see it, that Steve, you know, because Steve Bjork is most known for doing like a lot of ports of well-known games, but it's neat to see that he's done some original things that were just stuff he did too, like so from the mind of Steve Bjork, you know. So it's kind of cool to see some of this stuff. Oh, so Scott uh, Tasman, Scott Cooper says the slowdown just caused by too many enemy ships. Okay, so it's just it's a just, lot of so uh, can't keep up. There's a lot of multitasking going on there at that point. Thanks, Tasman. And Frodo NL says he was not a fan of Defender. Uh, just had too many buttons for him, but he really liked this one. So, uh, I think my favorite element, and it takes a while to get used to. Uh, in fact, you hate it usually when you first play the game if you've never played before. Is the inertia thing, but it actually comes to your advantage because then you can do those sweeping, firing, you know, an entire you know line vertically to get rid of a couple asteroids or ships all at the same time. And once you get used to the controls, it actually is quite fun doing it this way. But uh, for those of using used to it, some arcade games where you can turn on a dime type thing, right, it's, right. it's a bit odd. Eight bits in the basement really like this game too. We had, we had, we had a few people who really liked it. Yeah, good turnout. So that's uh, really good. Yeah, I think it's a neat game. I'm just terrible at it. <clears throat> so that's why I, uh, no no point in sending in a whole bunch of screenshots that just say zero on them. <laughs> oh, you couldn't You could have beat Jason uh, Coco Man <laughs> at that point for low score. Right? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get 20 because it doesn't give you the 20 when you run your ship into the rock. Ah. So, you, so basically he, had, he shot one thing and then died right because what is it what is it the one that gives you 20 points even because now it's giving yeah, asteroid, yeah, shooting an asteroid okay yeah the there scary thing is we played on easy so i mean i wouldn't want to know what the uh, other levels were like i do have one question did people play this on joystick or keyboard because i did notice the comments back earlier in the week that some people preferred the keyboard controls over the joystick deluxe black beauty yeah, I, I did deluxe in mine. I liked rolling the joystick around the perimeter to, to do my ups and downs and spinning around, and I found that was a little bit easier for me. I see what he's doing here, too, because you can see at this point now everything's on the left, right? So all those blue dots are on the left. All his red dots to the right are just making their way 
across. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's the where the radar does come in handy a lot, huh? When the ships are on the left side, nothing comes up from behind you, and the, and the same. And when they're on the right, nothing comes up from ahead of you. So Steve does give you a bit of a buffer on each side to uh, to uh, work with, which is nice. So yeah, this is one I didn't play back in the day. So uh, really, uh, thank you, David O'Connor, for uh, mentioning this one. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is one that uh, escaped my radar, if you will. Frodo says he prefers the keyboard. Canadian retro thing says I liked using the Black Beauty. This this one I played the heck out of when when it first came out. I actually bought the cartridge for this one because I tried it out in the store and it was quite a quite a lot of fun. Scott Cooper said I played on the uh, keyboard on my PC using XROAR. I wouldn't listen to Taz. He's not uh, he's not really a good expert on this game. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thanks anyway, Taz, for your feedback. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. No, Taz neat, is awesome. Obviously, neat he's, game. He's, he's, he's been on a roll. I'm very uh, very. Yeah, it's not too often we we get the high score that much further ahead of everybody else. Yeah, you did play. You did play uh, the same game we did, right? Like, I want to make sure. You know, <laughs> <laughs> now, he was playing well, colors. He was playing color scripts it and just typed ah, in his high score. So yeah. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> no, he did submit video proof, so uh, I yeah. believe him. <laughs> Great score. Um, I don't know. It could be a Billy Mitchell thing. You know, he could have just doctored the whole thing up. I don't know. Just kidding. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> So cool, cool. Another great, you know, it's been great about um, this segment and um, and Septandy and things like that. It's just what I really enjoy is the fact that, you know, we're getting people involved. People are, that's becoming the the kind of communal thing, which is fun, right? Because, you know, especially with retro games, unless you've got somebody in the same room with you, you can't like play with another person. So the fact that we're kind of playing together virtually, but kind of, you know, collaboratively and that whole spirit of connection and camaraderie is very cool. You know, and that's some of the things that I think I'm very proud of that have, that have come out of this show is this whole connectivity that we've managed to have with, you know, kind of fostering community and, and this involvement and things like that. And Septandy has been great. I Absolutely. really exceeded my expectations because I didn't really have any. I just thought, eh, it's a hashtag. It's just a thing, whatever. You know, we're Tandy all the time, so who cares, right? Let them guys do their amateur hour for the month, right? We're here all year round, right? But um, there's been a lot of great content, a lot of great people. We've we've met people. We've we've made some some friends. We've created some synergies. So the more you can connect people and um, and do stuff, it's great. And it's and it's just it's it's best. It's good for the community, right? The more people that get interested in the cocoa. Well, the community benefits, right? That means there's more people are going to be buying Cocos, more people are going to be buying Coco hardware and software. Uh, you know, hopefully more people watching this crap show. So, um, you know, it's really cool. So a lot of good things have, have evolved in the time that we've been doing this show that I'm just really pleased to see, you know, and especially yeah, now. I think with, the, the uh, only downside to that is, in the particular case of the Coco 3, it's actually driven the prices the far su- up. Supply and demand, hard right? To get yeah. Them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking uh, by the way, Scott, Taz, Taz in the in the chat says I have a confession. My real name is Billy Mitchell. So, <laughs> I my case. oh, I love your barbecue sauce. Awesome. <laughs> uh, speaking of cross pollination, this is uh, this video is from Canadian Re- Canadian Retro Things, who has for the last couple of weeks has been playing the game of the week on his channel. Oh, neat. So, uh, if you want to uh, tune over to his channel and see uh, see the yeah, games featured yeah. as well, I appreciate the shout out from him. 
Um, I have a question. I never figured out at the bottom. Okay, S equals one. Obviously, it's your ships, and C is the convoy. What is R? Anybody figure that out? R equals six. Let me see. I've got the manual kicking around. Let me check if it tells you. Oh, the manual. So C is convoy. That's like what screen you're on. No, the number of convoy ships left me. Oh, convoy. so round, like what round you're on, like how many screens? Well, yeah, it, I think that is what it is. But it always starts. It always says six, doesn't it? A remaining. I don't know how many. How many bad I have guys? No are idea. Remaining? I don't know. Anyway, isn't that question. the number of lives you got left? No, that would be no, S, S for zero. S is R zero. is the reserve count. That's what it says in the manual. Reserve what? Fuel. Second player, st- okay, status, uh, S represents the number of ships remaining, C is the number of spaceships, and R is the reserve count. Huh. Does that mean if you gain the extra of ships convoy you have, pieces and you oh, haven't blown them up, that they're in reserve? I don't know. It's uh, Frodo saying it's the number of ships you have in reserve to replace in the convoy in later levels. Okay, so if you if you get some free convoy, like you get the score for free convoy stuff, but you, you still have your uh, entire convoy, they get held in reserve and you can get them back. Okay. Kind of like that uh, defense game we did last week. <laughs> um, Kenny Retro things apologize for background noise and something came from his cat. Oh, uh, okay. That statement came That's from great. That's the great. cats have nothing to do with this game. <laughs> so yeah. Cool. Good time. So thank you to Tasman and Can- Canadian Retro things for your gameplay videos. Appreciate it. Oh, uh, two just blew up there in a row. Yeah. To have something to show during the, uh, the discussion. All right, so uh, is that good? Are we ready to move yeah, on? To yeah, yeah. I am excited to know what the game, what next week's game of the week is. What will all, all right. the kids be playing? So next week, I went back to doing in another port of a popular game from back in the day, and we haven't done many puzzle games. This is a puzzle game, Uh-oh. if you will, and it is. Ooh, Marble Maze. Marble Maze. Icon Products. Which, oh, I forgot to ask if you knew what the game was. Curtis, do you know what this game is? Yeah, it's those darn marbles, isn't it? No, That's right, those crazy marbles. Yes, Marble Maze, which is a clone of Marble Madness, of course. And yes, from DICOMs. As, as, uh, very faithfully done. Curtis. Yes, it's a very good game. Um, it's a very good reproduction for sure. Um, yeah, so that is our game of the week. And I uh, look forward to seeing You can this. double speed poke this on a Coco 3 to make the steering a little bit more fluid, but because the timer counter is based on CPU speed and not real time, it, the, the levels will go twice as fast, but you're moving twice as fast. So it's kind of like a few times so we did things with Draconian and a few things like that. There are some benefits to the double speed, but in this case here, you're, you have half the time to do it. I will also mention that if you go in the Color Computer Archive, and this game is legally free to download it from Dave Dies himself. Um, I did optimize this one for the 639. So if you have the 639 in your Coco 3 or your Coco 1 or 2 or Dragon, uh, it will speed it up a fair bit uh, there as well. And uh, if you run double speed and 639 at the same time, it really goes fast. Neat. So is this, and uh, what is, what's really speeding? Like the vertical scrolling and stuff? Is that yeah. where you notice it? Yeah. Yeah. Probably generating the uh, next level too. That's a little bit. That seems that takes. I, a, I didn't speed seconds. that routine up because that's just a pause between levels. I, I wanted to get the gameplay because some people complain oh, okay. it's a little slow. So the six or nine version, if, even if you have a Coco one and two, it's 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 noticeably faster. Cool, cool. This is a fun game. Um, it uh, it plays well with the with the, only the four colors. You don't need a lot of colors for for Marble Madness, but you know obviously the arcade there was a good sixteen colors. Uh, there was nice shades of gray and stuff like that. This is typical Atari 
palette hacks that they did on their, all their games. So this game was very visually stunning, audibly stunning, great musical soundtrack in the arcade. Really cool concept, too. The arcade version used a trackball, right? And you have to do the rollerball yes. on that? Yeah. Um, so it's such a cool concept, really cool music. Um, you know, the, the kind of pseudo 3D isometric thing going on here. Just lots of cool original things. Where In a time where a lot of uh, games were recycled versions of other popular games, this one really stood out as fairly unique. And another one like this was Crystal Castles, too. Another yes. kind of working on the 3D platform, running around doing stuff that you just didn't see a lot of games doing. So there, there were some really cool, innovative titles that Atari gave us. And this is definitely one of them, I'd have to say. So I have not tried this one with a digital control pad. I only tried it with the, the analog sticks. So I don't know how well it works. I think it works pretty well because I think if I remember correctly, it just basically reads, you know, left, right, up, down type thing. It doesn't okay. do fancy. That's kind of what There's I no thought. Speed control. I will also uh, mention that system requirements, you need a Coco 1, 2, or 3, obviously. 64K RAM required. Won't work in 32K or less. And a joystick. Oh, this should be fun. This should be... This, I, I am predicting, if we do any live streams, some frustrative uh, ex, uh, expletives might be uh, vocalized. <laughs> That's no different than any other game. <laughs> Horse manure. <laughs> Horse manure. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys for another great week. I look forward to seeing what you do with this one. And thank you, Stevie. All right. Well, thank you. Doing a great job hosting so far, Nick. You're no David Ladd, so let's not uh, let's let's keep things real. But thank uh, you. It's a good compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to go ahead and just roll right into game on news? We'll just keep this fun train on the track. Yeah, let's go ahead, uh, Curtis. Uh, bring on the news, man. Okay. Let's see if I can share yawn old screen and. But that's seeing that. Oui, oui. Now, we have the author of this particular first uh, one here right on, so I won't actually say much. I'll just ask Mr. Robert Allen Murphy if you want to explain what your current blog post covers. Uh, okay. The um, project to port an old NEC PC6000 game uh, called AX2 Uchu Yususin Nostromo, which means Space Transport Nostromo, uh, it's a survival horror game uh, written in 1981 for Japanese computers. Um, Jim Gary ported it to the MC-10 a long time ago, and, and I took an interest in it because it was uh, uh, an alien-related game, and it was obviously for the 6847-type display, the VDG. And uh, so, yeah, I just finally got around to getting into programming it and this became my excuse to learn a lot more about Coco's that I didn't know and the 6809 assembly. So I've kind of been working through both the source code of the original game and looking at how to port it and then building up uh, from scratch all the pieces that you need to run it um, on both Coco 1 and 2, as well as Coco 3, maybe Dragon, Coco VGA. And uh, so the past two months have been finishing out, getting some of the video to work. The piece that's up right now is the Semigraphics 4 screen. Um, and you can see it's erasing chunks of the maze as I'm actually moving the little guys around. Um, and I've started working now that I've got the video basically working in all the different modes I want, except Coco VGA. I'm starting to work on that uh, as an add-on, and I'm starting to work on the audio. 
And uh, that's a very boring screen there where it just shows like Nostromo and time and score. What I'm doing is I'm actually building the screen up now rather than from a big map. I'm building it up piece by piece the way the original game did so that uh, each of the little pieces gets updated only as needed. So this is the actual start of the grind where I'm going line by line through the original source and building replacement pieces for that on the Coco. So working on controls, working on audio, uh, finishing out the basics of the video drivers, and then now actually just into the grind of going line by line. Um, one other thing that's in this blog post is that I've been switching over from three ring binders, 1980 style, to an online notepad system called Joplin that's working out really well. And it makes it very easy for me to look up all the little reference pieces that I need for keeping up with all the different sound chips and all the different video chips and things like that. So uh, there's a you lot. You just lost there. your retro card for that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> really? Darn. I'll keep the three ring binder, I guess. Uh, I'll, I'll use it to throw at people when they complain about all my bugs. <laughs> I have a feeling I'll be at the head of the line to get thrown out there. So for that comment, I mean, yeah, it looks like it's, it's going well though. I, I've watched uh, you know your progress through it. You've actually had some little demo videos up too, if I remember, and I've kind of watched some videos of my retro game, what the original game looked like as well in play. So it's a pretty, pretty cool concept. And you've got Coco three modes and Coco one and two modes. And are, and it sounds like you're planning on adding some Coco VJ support, possibly even the higher screen. You're going to use a 64 by 32 or are you going to do that? Or are you just going to redefine the character sets to make them look more like men and stuff? I'm going to use the NEC font on the original 32 by 16 screen because that's what the original game is, is 32 by 16. It's just that this, you know, has one thing. Hello? Okay. Had some noise going in the background, so I'm assuming he muted to stop that. Yeah, it sounded like he's self-muted. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe a battery right. backup or something else going off. Anyway, it looks really good. So uh, we'll, we'll keep keep people posted here. You can go read his full blog over on his site. And uh, we got yeah, Brian's already posting. It looks like I'm assuming that's what that post is uh, in the yes. chat is for. He's got the he'll be doing the links. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on that. But yeah, it's moving forward slowly. <laughs> yeah, cool. And you're doing it completely assembler or you're doing assembly routines with basic? I can't remember. Pure assembler. Pure assembler. Speaking of pure assembly, the next story here, Simon Jonasson's got a couple of updates here. So the first one is um, the sprite engine that he's working on, including a snippet of source code. And that's one thing uh, that uh, Simon's pretty good with is that when he does some of these routines, he works with other people like Paul Thayer, Paul Fiskrell, if others here, uh, they'll eventually release a source code for all the projects. So if anybody wants to learn how some of the techniques are done, you know, he'll give you all that at the end of it. So you can incorporate them in your own programs too. So, so that's a bit on his uh, sprite detection stuff. And then he did another post after that showing a sound engine and it uses the Mario tune, which I hopefully won't get a copyright. Dang, I'll just play it for a few seconds anyway. Um, so this is playing at 7.8 kilohertz and taking about one third of the CPU time on a Coco 3. I don't think at double speed. So I'll just play a little snippet. I don't know how loud this is gonna be through Facebook. So let me know if you can hear it okay. 
don't hear it. Okay, is it loud enough or? It's good. Yeah. I'd go ahead and pause it though, because Nintendo is notoriously uh, copyright happy on that. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds pretty good, and if it's only taking one third of the CPU time to do multi-channel sound like that, that's uh, that's pretty decent, and it compresses quite well too, from what I understand. So, and that's part of his upcoming game project that he's actually been working with Paul Fiskrelli on the sprite engine for it. Plus, now he's got the sound, and then of course, design game. And, he, and Simon's never actually done a full game before, so this is hitting new territory for him as well. So we'll keep following the progress on that. Next up, this was a complete surprise to me because uh, ARG Presents, which is their show for basically picking the wackiest, and I'm, I'm quoting Aaron on what, the word wacky, but the wackiest systems or genres of games that you can possibly find. So they pick some obscure thing nobody's ever heard of from Russia like they did last week. And uh, right after they did the regular recording of the show, they just suddenly decided to impromptu, you know, impromptu put up a uh, Coco show, which has been on hiatus since Boat got his second job. And uh, they decided to do one of Rick Adams' games here. So Temple of Rom was the featured game. And this was recorded last Sunday morning quite early. And I actually wasn't up at the time, so I missed it completely. I didn't even manage to do any witty commentary banter with them during the show. <laughs> so I was kind of disappointed. Um, so I've ostracized them for that. I would uh, love to know who does their pixel art. I love their artworks and their logos and their graphics. Actually, that's just a straight photo. That's what they look like in real life. So. <laughs> And there you can see what you know Temple Rom looks like. It's a, it's a bit of a now that is really but, uh, yeah. cool. That's very cool. <laughs> I like that program pack case there. Look at that. That is neat. The whole little program pack case. Yeah, yes. yeah. They do a lot of those custom borders for the, each system every week. I think uh, Brent is actually the one that builds those. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Aaron. Since you're in chat. Yeah, they covered the game, and, and I mean they weren't. Uh, they, they they liked it, but you know there were some issues as far as gameplay goes. And I mean, quite frankly, on the one particular one, I agree a little bit, and that's the fact that when you're doing the scrolling, you're so far to the side of the screen, you almost have no time to react. Yeah, maybe this is just because I'm getting old and I can't react as fast as I used to. But that is what the guy the guy who did who, who's working on the 3D version of this, John Day, I believe, he's working on Return to Rom. He called that the jump scare factor, where you, by the time you see it, it is a danger. And he actually liked that feature. So it's probably preference. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if it was intentional on Rick's part, but how it ended up being was. I think it cool. was intentional on Rick's yeah. part, too. Yeah. Now and to be honest, when I was younger, that was fine. I, I just I find my reaction times a little slower yeah. as I've yeah. gotten older. So it, it's now it's no longer a jump scare, it's a jump death. You know? so it's, a, it's a little bit different <laughs> gameplay now. Yeah. <laughs> Now what I Aaron notice here, very low res. what Sorry, I notice here too, this is the stock ROM version because it's got that one pixel missing on the bottom that Rick fixed. If you recall, yep. Rick Adams worked on that and got that fixed where the that last pixel is there too. Yeah, and they did find the link to uh, Rick's GitHub of Temple of ROM two though at the time they didn't know that Rick was actually the guy that did it, so they weren't yeah. sure if it was an unofficial port or not. And I did mention the uh, return of ROM in the comments. Now, I'd, have you heard anything like? Has he done anything further? Not, I haven't anything? heard anything probably since last year. It's like it, he's had some quiet time and he's had some time where he would, you know, pop up and then, then disappear again. I think like a lot of people, you know, yeah, just when he's other life happens. In. But, um, yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing that one whenever it comes out. Yeah. And Aaron, uh, since you're in chat here, do you guys have any plans of, you know, throwing together the Coco Show maybe on a, you know, a slightly 
extended basis get some other shows up because I'd love to to see a few of them, especially with Brent because YouTube grew up with the Coco and and Brent did you know played with the Coco and he was like four or five, so to get his perspective what some of those games were like back then, I think it'd be pretty pretty cool. Obviously, you can't do it in the ARG because the wheel decides what what system you pick or what what genre. But love to see a few more of these shows. Hint hint. Right. I love the layout of the whole program program pack case. That's cool. And this is another part of the Septandi, which has wound up. I, um, there's still a few. Um, Dinty is one of them. That's got another video coming out for the interview with John Roach. I know um, I can't remember channel is off the top of my head, but there's another one that's actually been doing composite video mods on the Coco One and Two. They've got another video coming out on how to do those in two different ways, two two different schematics for it, so you can kind of compare them. So there's still some stuff related to Septandi that just didn't get completed before the end of September. That'll be coming out within the next couple of weeks. And of course, you know, the rest of us will keep putting up handy stuff like we always did. This one was new, though. This is the uh, person that actually um, is in Canada and he immigrated when he was young. And he played the Tandy Color Computer 3 version of King's Quest 3 when he was young and finally got back into it. And this is the very first YouTube video he's ever done, period. Mm. So he apologizes for not being too professional, etc. But he goes through a, a bit of the history and stuff, too, which is kind of cool of his own life, how he got into the cocoa. Oh, eventually he got into you know, you know playing King's Quest Three, but also covering a bunch of other things too. And it's it's a fairly interesting uh, history of his life going through up to the point where he actually gets into playing the game, and then he actually demonstrates it, shows off the original box, kind of bounces back and forth from loading things up. I like how he uses this one thousand TL as a monitor stand for the Coco. That's awesome. <laughs> that looks like that is happening on the. Okay, this is the Coco Three version. Yeah, this is the Coco Three version. Okay. Yeah. So he apologizes, you know, first time ever doing video, so he probably needs a you know better mic. I mean, I had the same problem when I started too, and some people I believe the term was it was a little mic, I believe the term was you're a little bassy, Curtis, back in the day. So yeah. <laughs> uh, Not much has changed. I'm just slightly more sober. That's all. <laughs> anyway, I go support his page. Like I said, it's his very first one. He's only got some subscribers right now. Uh, he's planning to do some further videos here, but uh, you got to boost those him. numbers. Boost those yeah. numbers. Yes. I mean, hopefully they work for Dinty. So yeah. Cool. Next up, and this is another video game blog for a uh, a video game currently in development from uh, Paul Thayer. So this is his upcoming Coco Bond game. We covered it, I think, last week or two weeks ago. And he's been modifying the AI algorithm because the original one was just too strict. It would find you way too easily. Basically, you would just trap yourself and you couldn't do anything. So this one, he goes into an explanation and actually goes through the assembly code of how he changed it. So he actually gets to see him discussing and showing you the actual code he's using in assembly. So the budding assembly programmers out there, because Paul's a bit of a beginner in that field himself, it's it's, it's something I think you beginner uh, assembly language types might actually learn from each other, you know, corresponding with Paul on this video. And he kind of goes through a bit of the design of the game and stuff too, but it's uh, it's pretty cool. And he's going to planning on keeping doing these. This was the second one related to the Coco Bond game itself. And uh, you know, going through AI changes, like you can make an AI so smart it just it wipes the player out all the time, or you can make it too stupid and then it's not a challenge for the right. player. So how do you balance? Balance, that right? That's that's the right. tough thing. I know Nick, Nick, and I have had discussions about that too. And that's one of the reasons I don't design games these days because I don't have the right mindset to do that properly. Or from anything else, really, that matter. <clears throat> and then uh, the uh, the other part of the Amigos there decided to do a Coco video this last week, too, as part of Septandi. So uh, Boat, who just received a switcheroo, thanks to Rob Inman, and a big hearty thanks to him for sending it to him. 
and there were all the peripherals and cables that he needed. Now, Boat has finally got to see what a Coco 3 looks like in RGB. And, uh, well, but, as we all know, if, if you go from composite playing Digger 3 to Digger 3 on real RGB, it's a, it's a huge world difference. of difference. Huge difference. Yeah. It's, so he got to see, you know, Donkey Kong remix um, in all of its RGB glory. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Now, how did he comp- How do you say this one compared to the Atari 8-bit? Did he say this one was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> see, John has a, a, a mental flaw where he thinks... Where he thinks a transcode isn't really the game. He, you know, he thinks that's cheating. Whereas actually trying to translate from a CPU with hardware that you don't have and trying to match it cycle for cycle is actually more of a challenge than yeah. I think of just trying to do a Joe oh, yeah. Blow clean room implementation where you can just kind of make it up as you go along. So, you know, until he breaks out of this mental abyss he's in, yeah. uh, he's Try just that on the Atari constantly be wrong on that case. Right, so. right, right, right. The one area where John is right, though, is he thought I was too young to be, uh, to be uh, using a Coco back in the day. He thought I was like, 30 or 20 or something. Oh, yeah. And, and well, that's because he saw your magazine title cover. So he's got there, good judgment. Your there. Teen Beat cover, I think. Yes. <laughs> you look like you know one of the Backstreet Boys or something. So, yeah, we can switch over to that real quick. I did it that way. <laughs> no, actually, I can't. It's not there. I never I like mind. it that way, however it goes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, unfortunately, he, he just downloaded the Coco SDC archive update from the beginning of August. <clears throat> but that was just before Chet released the final reversion of Digger 3. So, unfortunately, he was playing the holiday preview from last year, okay. which still shows you the basic gameplay, but uh, he didn't get a chance to see all the new stuff Chet's added. But, yeah, those colors look great. Yeah. And he did the Chet Pac-Man transcode. So, he did a couple transcodes here. You know, that cheap way of doing a really awesome yeah. port of the game. <laughs> well, I would show you that if YouTube so was gonna... functioning properly. Wax poetic about the uh, track screen for Pac-Man. Unfortunately, we don't see that here. Okay. Why don't we yeah. see? He you didn't realize at the beginning this is just a setting screen. The track screens afterwards. Okay. So. Yeah, I don't think that. he knew that just existed until uh, he got to see Photon, which is a game he quite quite actually likes. He's he's into puzzle games, and to be honest, this is the best puzzle game in the Coco Three, as far as I'm concerned, and one of the best games in the Coco Three period, and the best original game in my my view. Wow. Lots of lots of opinions there, Curtis. Well, you yeah. can, you and they're all right. I, I mean, it's just I like the lantern the does buzzard bait. So, yeah. what? Sorry, I, yeah. I sense the request for game on uh, challenge. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> Boat Boat put out here because he he's he's one of these people that just plays games for quick s- snippets and then he gets bored or not bored, but just he wants to get onto the next one. It's like Stevie that way, short attention span. What were you saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and this this is a game that you you have to kind of get used to the controls, and then you have to kind of learn how it how to do it properly, like how to manipulate the maze pieces to get to the exit. And once you kind of get the hang of it, then you can start blistering through like the first dozen or two dozen levels, and then it starts getting really difficult. There's 63 levels in the game itself, so he's actually asked if anybody could do a long play video. Now I don't have the proper video set up here, except to try to play an emulation. I might try it now that I've got that. Uh, Coco joystick adapter because trying to play it on the keyboard on a PC controller for me has always sucked. It's terrible. I can't do any good on that. And I'm not the greatest at this game either. I can only usually get to like level 20, 25. I don't even get a, you know, barely a third through the game type thing. So I'm hoping one of you guys that is better at this kind of thing might be able to actually do a long play video or if it becomes you know the game on thing, we can actually, because the mazes get really intricate and there's new pieces that you have to fight off and all kinds of things. So it's it's a pretty cool game. And I'll keep piping it up because it is one of the best ones. It's incredible. It's fantastic. 
Anyway, he did multiple other Coco 3 games. One he was pretty impressed with the graphics on was uh, Gauntlet 2. Of course, the clone of Gauntlet 2 from the mm-hmm. arcade. But I'll let you guys played this one, Stevie? Thing. What's that? Have you, ever, have you ever played this game? I think I, I think I did a video on it and not knowing very well what to do with it. Um, so mm. I think I did do a video, but I haven't really spent any quality time on it. Yeah, I'd like of, to pick this one for an yeah. upcoming. A lot of my time. earlier videos, yeah, I, sure. yeah, a lot of the earlier videos I did, I literally sometimes was playing a game I had never seen before, and I didn't even know about necessarily Curtis's website and some of my videos or the archive. So a lot of times I would come across a game that I didn't know how to play or what to do with, and just kind of said, you know, stupid things for five minutes, and then said, okay, well there it is, and I don't know yeah. what I'm doing, but goodbye. <laughs> I'm glad that's changed because now you have half an hour to say stupid things. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Now I just stream stupidly for hours on end. So, uh, actually, you've gotten better at some of those games too, though. So, yeah. okay. Next up, uh, Paul Fiscarelli, who's of course working with Simon on uh, some stuff here, has been working on a sprite engine, and we kind of demonstrated it a little bit last time. Um. So this is kind of, you can guess what game this is based on the Nintendo one here, but just showing like using hardware scrolling with his new sprite engine. This looks like an inferior clone of uh, Downland. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the jumping, very responsive, the way the gravity effects work and everything. Yep, that works pretty good. Now, this is a hardware scroll? Yeah. Yeah, I think somebody mentioned one of the comments that he noticed the tearing in the clouds as it was scrolling, and I'm not sure. We know that the Coco can smooth scrolly, can s- s- scroll smoothly. Um, so I'm not sure if it's the way the video does or it's the way something Paul's mentioned. He goes, this is, yeah, this, uh, the bear in mind, this is all a work in progress. He's still working mm-hmm. on it. He mentioned he's trying to sync the Sprite engine with one of the H or V something or another's so um but i think it's down downright impressive yeah i mean we've seen one demo similar to this years ago when remy did it because he did one with uh, the hardware scrolling and he had all the sprites flying around in circles and you could actually control with the joystick what direction you're scrolling and how many click mm. the button to add or subtract sprites but uh, this is actually using like proper shapes with animation and stuff on top of it. the other one was just you know circles flying around so this is actually a bit closer to the the final type of a demo of this type of game and then, yeah, you're you're right on the tearing stuff. I don't know if that's just the video artifacting. I know Facebook compresses the crap out of videos too, which uh-huh. doesn't help. Um, but we've seen like Digger Three doesn't have any of that, right. and that's scrolling all four directions. So, right. Or Gunstar or numerous. Am I seeing Bert? He might not be Am double buffering. Bert? Yeah, go ahead, Rick. I was just wondering. It looks like there's variable horizontal speeds going on here. Or am I just imagining that? It seems like you can run at different speeds, and the scrolling changes speed. To it looks. It looks or like here. Am I just want to see. It looks like here, at least from my end, because you guys might be getting a bit of stuttering from the upstream. It looks pretty consistent in speed here. Yeah, it does. Unless maybe you're picking up something or jumping or something, it might slow down. Actually, right now where it's paused, you can see the cloud is torn. You see that? There's the yeah. the yeah, so that is the tearing that he's talking about. Now that again, that could be the video, uh, or that could just be the software, the way the software is working now. But this is all kind of prototyping, work in progress stuff too. So I'm sure yeah, it'll all be worked out. Because that's actually in the middle of the frame too. I'm guessing that's just tearing in the video type thing. Uh, because well, and go ahead, Rick. And look at his sprite sizes. That's that's a Mario sprite by two. 
So maybe that's the issue. You know what I mean? It's a block size. Yeah, that so could you, be. So the clouds are two Mario's high, and therefore they might not be a unit. Yeah, it just the way the horizontal scroll works is that basically you have the image pre-drawn on the screen, then you just have to change a pointer and the hardware shifts the view over. So if that's just being drawn once and then scrolled using the hardware scroll, it shouldn't tear. Right. Um, now, if he's redrawing it as he goes, that's a different story. Maybe the cloud is considered a sprite instead of a background. I'm not sure. Paul, if you're out there, let us know. But it looks great. It, I mean, this looks spot yeah. on like the Nintendo. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Next up, we have an update from Jay Cyril and Brett Gordon. They've been working on the uh, Alcaron uh, networking Coco 3 game. Um, so this is the second update uh, video uh, that just came out for Legends of Alcaron. So he's once again, he goes in a bit of explanation of what they're doing, et cetera. This was actually, they were starting to play around with the menuing system a bit more, um, fixing some things on that. They've got a count of the little you know, information windows and that stuff now neat. too. This is kind of playing into something I want to work on. I love this. This is cool. Yeah. And the fact it's going to be real networking too. So you can actually play this against other Coco yeah. users across the planet. Mm-hmm. live well it's going to be just a lot of fun i think so we actually had a bit of the battle sequence here where they're fighting a blob and you're watching the blobs hit points go down etc so uh, they're doing that there's that whole you know spot on the bottom here kind of giving your updates interesting drop down potions yeah. you get to drink beer which is obviously great yes interesting little font they got going on there too yeah, it's kind of a shorter one, I think, so they can fit more text on the screen uh-huh. vertically. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like seven pixels high or something. So, But yeah, that, uh, we've been getting a lot of this actually lately where a lot of the people in the Coco community that are developing new games, and I think Nick Marentes, you probably pioneered this, of doing video blog entries where you're showing a bit of the gameplay and maybe explaining you know, some of your thinking behind it. In some cases like this or with Paul Thayer, you're actually explaining the code. But it, it's, it's, I think, a much better than... Um, for trying to explain some of these things to be able to show visually, not just still photos, but also the motion and explaining like how I got horizontal scrolling to work or how I got, you know, pop down win- menus to work or the running, you know, in an isometric view, like on the previous video for this one. So I think that really helps. And, you know, the people that are just getting into a same language, or just getting into Coco three game design or Coco one and two game design to visualize more easily what they're talking about. Um, and now Robert Allen Murphy, I'm, I'm sure you'll probably get to that point too later. And I think you have done some video bits too that you've done in your game previously as well. So that is the same thing. I mean, sometimes you, a still photo, if you're just showing how the design of a level works, is fine. But the video, I think, really adds some extra oomph to the video or to the uh, explanation of how things are working. So I think that really helps on, on showing off some of these blogs. So I hope we see more of the vlogs and mm-hmm. some of these things. I might even consider to start doing some of these vlogs type things on maybe some of the Nitrous 9 development stuff to explain you know, here's a speed up I did, or here's an optimization of a graphical thingy or new menu system or whatever I came up with. Yeah, I mean, honestly, to be, to be able to visually show it and audibly explain it at the same time where you can look and hear what the person's explaining to you, I feel, I feel that that's much more effective than trying to read and interpret yeah. on your own. Like, I'm not a white paper type person, so somebody who wants to get into all the technical nuts and bolts in their write-up, that's great, but I'm going to get lost in the first paragraph and I'm going to lose interest. But that's me. You know, some people will eat that stuff up. There's some people who will just love to, you know, dig into a curl up of a nice warm white paper, you know, um, but I'm not that guy. So uh, so I find this is this is beneficial to not only the people who want the spoon fed 
digested version of this as well as just it's you know it's very effective you know yeah i kind of like the combination of both like what you're saying is absolutely true and i'm the same way actually i can't just go read a white paper on you know how something works for pages and pages and pages but on the other end, if I need to reference it later, it's nice to have something I can just load up and then just do a search for, you know, some keyword yeah, that yeah. will find me something. But explaining it so it sinks into my head, this works much better because I'm dumb. <laughs> no argument with that, Curtis. So, yeah, yeah, I, I need <laughs> That was part of the script you gave me, so I just read it out loud. And the final uh, game on news, and this was kind of cool. Uh, I hope to see more of this happening. We've had little bursts of this in the past. Uh, Dave Shadoff, who uh, wrote some games for the Coco back in the day, has released a source code for his Coco 1 and 2 game called Star Spores, which was sold through Spectral Associates, and he's released it here on GitHub. So the complete source, he's even got some of the old notes. Uh, Interesting. That he did, including some of the graphics and stuff here. Wow, he's, he's designing scanned. his title screen oh from the original God. video display worksheet from Tandy. There's some of the graphics for the shapes. Wow, this is a treasure trove. Now, we've seen this a few times. Um, we've got like Xenix and Crystal City, the source code by Jeremy Spiller has been released. I've got source code on my website for Pack Dude Monster Maze by Brian O'Neill. And I'm brain farting what the guy who did the sound is Chris Pry. Um, I've got uh, Harvey Broffman's source code for Donkey Monkey up because he gave permission for that too. Um, some of this stuff is only on GitHub or on my site. I'm going to try to get most of this onto the Color Computer Archive because I think having the one nice central repository. And the one thing you have to worry about is some of these are done with different assemblers. Like, I you know, Harvey Broffman used the Microworks assembler, which isn't quite compatible with Edtasm. Now, Dave, in this case, I know he used Disk Edtasm because he mentions it um, when you go through the source code. So, Was it, Is this um, a semi-graphics game? No, this is a high, higher res. It's a P mode one with artifacting, I think, or P mode two with artifacting, I think. Okay. So it's a little bit thicker blocks. It was okay. meant to run in 16K with some of the animations and stuff here. So. Okay. And the title screen's just you know text mode. But it's commented source code, which is cool. And in this particular case, it's set up for the uh, disk edtasm. Oh, stupid thing. Did this to me yesterday, too. Does anybody else get this weird problem with GitHub where it just can't load a file for some dumb reason? It's never happened to me before, I promise. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's not going to do it today for okay. some dumb no, That's reason. cool, though. That's, that's a treasure trove of stuff right there. Screen mock-ups. Let's see. Oh, look at oh yeah, here's some of his notes. Look at that. Hmm. And, and Jeremy Spiller did the same thing. Like, if you go to his his page where his Xenix and Crystal City Source Associates, he's got his handwritten notes like this, too. And this wow. is awesome. The other ones I've gotten, I don't have any handwritten notes. I just have the source code and maybe a few comments, like a little readme text file. But I'm hoping that more authors, especially if your stuff you know, was done 30 years ago and you're not going to sell it anymore. Because uh, we've gotten permission from quite a few authors to release the software for download legally. Mm-hmm. And they you know, said, go ahead. But I'd love to see some more of this here, like the people Source learning the stuff back and notes in the day. and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As as Dinty was mentioning, getting this history and getting it down where it's preserved, I think is well worth it. I mean, even if some of the people like going through, you know, some of the code of Dave dies when I was, you know, doing my six thirty nine optimizations, you could see his progression as a machine language programmer from his early games, which quite frankly weren't written the greatest, and I mean, mine wouldn't be either. But you could see, you know, within a year or two, how much he learned and how much faster he was able to make stuff and how much more efficient, et cetera. 
and it's just fun seeing that, but also just seeing you know, how the stuff was done in the yeah. day. The evolution of a de- of a developer. Yeah. Yep. Too bad Nick Morenti's never carried that trend. No, <laughs> well, he's, he's just a hack. So, <laughs> and he's not even going to say anything because he's busy sleeping right yeah. now anyway. So, well, he just wiped me out. <laughs> his, ma- his mouth is glued shut with Vegemite. Yes. <laughs> you, you'd mentioned artifact artifact colors. So, were the in the graphics in the gridded page earlier? I noticed a lot of the uh, glyphs were double wide. There were like two offset by one occasionally mm-hmm. yeah is that the color going in like here we've got uh you know line 176 offset by one so was that give you a color shift because- yeah that would switch yes. between red and white yeah. yeah every odd and even pixel would shift between uh red and and blue and if you put two pixels together then you'd get white and but you if you wanted to get the subtleties of it if you put the two starting on an even pixel versus the two starting on an odd you'll get a yellowish tinge or a cyanish tinge. And MAME actually emulates that as well as the actual hardware. So, I mean, you, you could get, that's how the, like, the extra colors like in Sands of Egypt's splash page are done because you're doing like white pixels, which is two pixels technically as far as the mode is concerned. But starting on an otter and even gave you that yellowish or that cyanish, so you can get some extra colors. Sweet. Whitish. Like he mentions up here on the, on the top part here, like blue while resting, white while playing. He's actually talking about designing the game so that depending on what the player is doing at the time, it'll change the color of certain things. That's interesting. Just Plus, something that's not well known, too, is that most people think the artifacting color only works on P-Mode 4, and that's not true. It actually works on the lower ones as well. It works in P-Mode 0, P-Mode 2. You yeah. just get fatter pixels, but you actually get the, uh, the four, same four artifact colors. I mean, Doubleback yeah. uses that as an example. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because they're basically all it's, all it's doing is just scaling the resolution yeah. to fit the screen. So, um, yeah, hey, cool bit of history there. Cool stuff. And that's it for game on news. Far out. So, right. uh, Nick Murray, what do you say? You think we should take a commercial break before we come back with news? News? Yes, yes. Let's do that. We'll take a break, and we'll be back with Curtis with the uh, the regular news segment. All right. I want to hear. The I want to hear the Coco Do English one. I know we have it somewhere. I just can't find it. We'll see if this is the one here. We'll be back after these words. After these messages, we'll be right back. The Bakers. Now they like a family present. Let's see now. Candy's color computer system with its own carry-home pack. That's a family affair. Well, Dad, a color computer. The computer cassette recorder. And Aussie Accountant. That's for me. And Ozquiz for my school project. And two joysticks and a viewed game. Okay, who's the expert? Me, Dad. Thank you, Tandy. Uh, Sam. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave. Hi there, this is Mark Overholder, and you're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly talk show where you can join in. Hey, come watch us and see what's happening in the world of Coco. All situations depicted in this trailer actually happened. 
This true story has been anonymized to protect the guilty. Starting in the dead of winter, a group of bored teenagers, Blue Stuff Pup, learned code cracking, learned phone freaking, hijacked, and hacked. No system was safe. No one could catch them, or so they thought. story at the dawn of the internet system hacked you can leave your head on every christmas santa's little helpers go shopping at radio shack And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Yep. Ah, uh, Breaker 19, this here's the Tandy Mouse. You got a copy on me, Light Pen? Come on. Ah, uh, yeah, 10 for Light Pen, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's a big mess. Clear the database. Come on. Yeah, it's a big 10-4 there, Light Pen. Yeah, we definitely got asteroids ahead, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive. Looks like we gotta save this convoy. <laughs> From the dark of the moon, like some cartoon, there's nothing but giant rocks. Magnetic mines from front and behind, and alien ships stealing stocks. We just heading for bear where there's no air, about a parsec out of Alpha Base. I said, Light Pen, here's the Tandy Mouse, and I'm gonna have to put him in their place. Cause we got a stellar lifeline bubbling through the stars. Yeah, we got a stellar lifeline, it might crash into Mars. Come on and shoot everything, and it's all just gonna get in our way. We protect this stupid convoy across the galaxy. Convoy. Galaxy. <laughs> From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Cristos. And now a Muppet News Flash. And we're back. 
Uh, where did I put it there? That was an encore of Coco Thoughts as requested by Frodo, who missed it, and uh, switching over from YouTube to Twitch and everything. Hey, you guys got the black screen there? Yes, Coco Duino Blink. Yes, so this is uh, Tim Lindner. I uh, put this up kind of part of uh, the Septandi month as well. This actually came out in September. So it's a video on how to use a Coco to control a Teensy, which is an Arduino compatible. So it actually uh, basically tells you how to hook it up and then a little bit of program demos. You know, what a, what in this first thing episode, actually is. I create a Blink program running on the Teensy controlled by the color computer. Is that loud enough? When the color computer writes yes. to a special memory address, a LED will turn off. And when red, the LED will turn on. First, we make two connections between the color computer and the Teensy. We connect the I won't play the whole thing here, but um, Tim's really good at doing these videos. He's very good at presenting this type of stuff. Yeah. Can you fast forward to where we see the actual blinking? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> oh, look, there's his locker tablet thing. Line 40, go to's line 20 to repeat everything. And go to's, huh? When we run the program, the light doesn't seem to blink, but it does get dimmer. This is because we are turning it on and on too fast to see it blink. Let's add some delays between the reading and writing commands. It's funny showing you can be working with the Arduino type thing in basic, not even using assembly. And he's not using any spaces in his code there either, so that's very uh, optimized. <laughs> Also, bonus points for the screw hole in his FD501 case. <clears throat> now we see it blinking. Yes, we do. It is blinking. Thanks for watching this tutorial. And, of course, on the right-hand side, there, on top of his multipack, you can see the Coco SDC in that nice yeah. see-through case. Now I'm wondering, at any time, was he uh, playing Daggerath like that idiot from the book? I think that's what that other <laughs> monitor that left was reserved for. <laughs> Yeah, that's I, I just can't wait till he try, try, try him, tries out uh, Theragad, though. He's, he's just going to be just blown away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's the idiot now, right? So. <laughs> uh, good job, Tim. I mean, it's, it's a, cool, a cool little thing, a cool little project. Nice, easy one, too. It's not super extensive on the programming, not too extensive on the hardware. It's a good beginner's project for people interested in either of those two fields. What do you think that is in the bell-shaped thing? Like an old Oreo? Uh, like a, it looks like a wristwatch. Like a, yeah, like no, a, I think it's a, an old pocket a, watch. Pocket watch thing. Wow. Yeah. Either that's the end of a maze for bludgeoning opponents. I'm not sure which. Mm. Real time clock. Uh oh, this looks almost borderline inappropriate here. What's going on here? This woman looks to be in a compromising position. I mean, aside uh, from the stupid pause YouTube's giving me. Okay. Or? Okay. So Aaron Newcomb, who I mentioned last week, he's one of the guys that's one of the regular guest hosts on Twitter on several of their shows, uh, and he grew up with the Coco. Uh, he's the one who also has the Daggerath shirt. But he decided to do, uh, this is his last video for Septandi, to do something a little bit different. He didn't go with the computers and stuff. Now, back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a bit of a partnership between DC Comics and Tandy to do cross-promotion for tier cities and even electronics in general. So they got some of the regular artists and writers from DC to make some of these special comic books. They had Superman, they had Wonder Woman, Supergirl, and a few others here. And they also had the Tandy Wiz Kids, which the were Wiz these kids, two, so. yeah, the two teenagers. Uh, nothing to do with the P tape. The two teenagers that uh, 
basically had Tier City Model 1s or Cocos, depending on which comic you were reading, and they had to solve something for the superhero that they needed a computer to solve. Like, I think in the one case, Superman, his brain gets fuzzed out from something that the supervillain's doing, and they have to do the calculations manually for how much heat vision do I apply? How much of my super breath do I need? You know, type of thing. So we actually because that could really happen. That could literally really happen. Yeah. <laughs> So Aaron uh, goes through and he shows like some of the ones that were available. Like they actually had their own WizKids series that had all these. And these are the two teenagers. They also did another one called Tandy Electronics, which is basically the history of electronics in comic book form. And that was actually handed away for free, uh, as were some of these other ones here, to schools. So these were actually free to teachers. You could just literally order 100 of them and get them sent to your school. And um, they're also, and one thing he didn't mention in here, I don't believe... Uh, is that uh, DC as part of the cross promotion also inserted a couple of these stories into the regular comic runs. So it was like a free mini comic inside of the main comic mm. of whatever issue it was. Okay. That I did not know. And then he also goes through some of the history of some of the, the TV shows devoted to computers. And he was mentioning that Britain had much better education because it was controlled by the government of educating people and kids through kids shows, et cetera, on programming, on microcomputers in general in the late 70s, early 80s. Whereas in the States, there wasn't really a national push for it. It was like local, like a PBS station did this or that, or the Computer Chronicles or that type of thing. So he goes into a bit of history of that too. And then he gets into the actual comics itself. Now I'm going to stop sharing briefly here because I actually have some of these myself. And I will say but, the artwork is good. It wasn't like they got some third string schlep artists to throw together some, no, you know, crayon sketches. No, the writer and the artists were yeah. actually the ones who regularly did yeah. Superman. So yeah, like, so as far as uh, this being an uh, actual comic book, it's legit, you know? Yep. So so I will stop sharing here just to show you some of the ones. I've got you know, two of them. Yeah, I believe that that comic strip should be read as Charles Tandy with the Texas accents. I'm Superman. <laughs> with all the swearing. And I just town. got shot by some horse shit beam here. I can't <laughs> use my powers. I need them some bitch kids to use them their pewters and work that shit out for me real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, he's on board here. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to zoom up my screen for everybody to see here, this, uh, is, uh, this is one of the regular comics. This is an Action Comics 509 from July of, what year was this? 1980. Mm. So this is a this is a regular one. Nice and is shiny. Is showing backwards for you guys or right side? No, it's from, right side. Okay, it's backwards. For Nick, it's upside down. Nick Marantes. Yeah. <laughs> um. and, for, and for Nick Marantes, it's, it's clouded by his vision of buzzer bait. But anyway. Mm. Oh, hey. <laughs> your, your hump is on the wrong side. <laughs> Wait, this, this is not one of the ones that... Sh that um, that's a, regular, that's a regular. That's a His video is the ones where the Wiz Kid was a separate comic book by itself that was yeah. distributed to schools. Mm -hmm. So this was the cross promotion that DC did, where they took a regular issue, so it has the regular story in it. You know, the, the, just the regular story as it is. Uh -huh. But on inserted in the middle was one of these comics with the Wiz Kids. So I'll just show you the opening page for that. Let me find it here. So the page right here is showing the cover that uh, okay the cover of a fake Superman comic type thing yeah yeah, yeah that yeah. major disaster one of the supervillains and of course then they follow that up with a full page ad for the Tier City Model One because this is actually before the Coco got released product this placement issue. yeah mm. and then they go through the actual comic here when this is written by Carrie Bates artist by uh, Jim Starlin who's quite famous for doing quite a few things in both Marvel and DC and Dick uh, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name Giordano Gardano 
who was one of the main anchors and pencilists and one of the main heads of it. He ended up being a VP at DC for some hmm. point there too. So I'll just see if I can find one of the parts where they're showing one of the Tirasades. But basically they, they wrote all like a standard superhero thing. They go a bit a little bit of the history of the computers itself here. So they're here kind of going through transistors and you know, the lunar landing and how computers yeah. were used there. Here you see some Tirasades in the classroom. Product placement. Yep. No, they did quite a bit of that. Was there <laughs> any mention of the switcheroo in this? No, it's a bit too late. Here's what I was mentioning too, where he's, he's trying to calculate, you know, how to do things, and he just can't think straight because major disaster is screwed yeah. with his brain. Yeah. So they have to pull out the. You're sitting, calculate the circle circumference. Got some type of horseshit mm. brain wave on me here. <laughs> and his brain is so addled that he can't even calculate his flight. So he just took out a construction site by accident by flying oh. into it, and they give him, they give him hell for it. <laughs> So then they end up with this radio control thing where he's listening to the kids on their TRSA, you know, doing the calculations on his behalf. And then they have a final little product placement doohickey thing here at the end. Showing a typical teenager, you know, making a living off writing software. Yes. <laughs> Hey, that's me. Now, somebody in the comments on his uh, page mentioned that this kid actually is still into the computers and actually is a fairly major programmer today. Yeah, neat. But he was 14 or 15 at the time that this ad was done. Okay. And he got to start, you know, as a part-time programmer uh, while being a student in high school. Cool. So that was kind of cool. And then the special one here, and this is the Science Fiction Fair Story of Electronics, which Tandy also sponsored. And this is uh, done in the spring of 1980. Now, this is not Tears 86. Yeah, I'm, I remember those too, yeah. I remember yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, very. Yeah, so they go into like the history. Like, Ron, you'll like some of the stuff. Like, you know, they did the covers on the Voyager 1 spacecraft. Yep. Neat. Voyager. Voyager. <laughs> yeah, Voyager. Well, no, Voyager was Voyager <clears throat> 6, wasn't it? Do you remember the jigsaw puzzle that had like Marconi and Thomas Edison and a few other inventors on it, that Radio Shack? No, I don't, no, I don't remember that one. Or gave it away. I used to have that. But I got rid of it, unfortunately. It was part of this uh, science kind of. So we have a moon landing, and then what are the, what's going on there in the corner? It's got some kids on a TV or something? I can't quite see that in there. Um, actually, that's a microwave oven. Oh, microwave oven. So go. talking about the electronics involved with oh, that. But basically, it's like a history of, of electronics and how everything was discovered. Yeah, but this in comic book form. And, and to make it more educational, they have a quiz here where you have to identify who the different scientists oh, there you know, invented there, the various parts. There's Tesla. Kind of I recognize Tesla right away. Any ads, ads for Thomas the Edison thingy? over here? And, yep. Sorry. Any ads for the stringy thingy? Remember that? The stringy, stringy thingy. thingy. Yeah, they, they um, recorded on a steel stringy floppies. Stringy floppy. Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, I'm not sure. This is more on general electronics, so this is not so much computer. So they didn't add, it, what, there weren't ads in there for other peripherals or anything? No, no the were... only ads they had here was for uh, Radio Shack, like the electronic kits and stuff for the kids. Oh. Neat, neat. And when you think about it, that is kind of cool that they were producing really quality infotainment that they were giving away. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's in because especially in the seventies and eighties, comic books were huge. Kids love comic books. So that's a way to connect with. Uh, with the youth and give them something that will hopefully pique their interest. And obviously there's some financial incentives there. They're motivated by wanting to sell products. It is a, yeah. it is a publication that is basically endorsing everything they make and sell. <laughs> make no mistake about that, but it is free entertainment and information. And, and, and the fact that those are still around, that's kind of cool that we have that. Can you think of any other company 
Uh, can you think of the Atari comic book line or the Commodore or the TI? Oh, the Atari did have a comic book line, but it was to promote specific games like Star okay. Raiders. And- okay. But you know what I mean? Like educational type stuff. Educational, that, no. That, that, you know, that's the big difference, I think, too. Like what uh, Pat Dinty was saying earlier that about Tandy made it different from other 8-bit machines. There's a lot of distinguishing factors, not only the quality of the build, but I think the fact that you got your Tandy computers from a Radio Shack, and a Radio Shack was a store that was inviting to people who were curious and into the hobby and wanted to learn. You know, I was that snot-nosed kid that hung out playing with the machines for years before I could even afford to buy one, and the manager didn't say, hey, go away, kid, you bother me, right? But can you imagine going to uh, department stores like Sears or Service Merchandise trying to spend hours learning how to use an Atari or a TI in the store? They wouldn't put up with that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just and Radio Shack like, just lets you go, here's, yeah, here's the manual, yeah. kid, So the, the environment was very welcoming of people to learn and explore and be involved, and I think that really paid off dividends with the loyalty of, of the Tandy customers, you know? So this yeah. is a good why Tandy did that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, Pat, since you're still on the call here, um, I don't know if did you talk to John Roach about like some of the promotions they did like this, where basically this was just given for free. There was no charge to schools, no charge to students. You could pick it up in the store as a, as a kid yourself, or you could order 100 for a school. The fact that they were pushing the educational side of Tandy, was that part of what John was in control of, or is that somebody else who made a decision? He's, oh, you're, still you're, you're still muted, Pat. I go, yeah, no, actually, uh, we didn't talk about that specifically. Uh, but what John was directly involved in, which I thought was interesting, was when the uh, a Model 1 first came out, uh, Not he wanted to make sure that everybody knew what a computer was. So he actually went on tour with a Model 1, and he'd go from town to town and put uh, ads in newspapers and just have a uh, open uh, uh, hotel banquet room with, a, with uh, you know, 40 or 50 Model 1s and just invite people to come in and use them. Um, and that's how he kind of started it out. So, uh, no, in terms of that, and again, you know, going back to the Cocoa Project, I think that, uh, that uh, he was a little bit, a little bit confused by the Cocoa Project that, that he, I think he took more of a hands-off approach to that. Uh, he was really directly involved with model one, incredibly involved with model one. And he was very much involved with creating the Cocoa. But I think beyond that, he kind of just, uh, uh, went on and just, I don't understand these people and just kind of went on to the next <laughs> thing. Uh, but, yeah. Well, like the one, the one Superman comic I showed here, actually, that is a Model One promo. Like Model Ones were used in the story, so I was wondering who's directly involved in, in organizing with DC to do this cross promotion between the two. Uh, you know, I would imagine so. We didn't talk about that, but uh, it was. What's interesting is everybody I've talked to had any involvement with John Roach or, or seen interviewed, like the head of Sierra, for example, uh, who sold uh, who sold programs in for Tandy One Thousand inside Radio Check stores. Uh, basically, said that he negotiated directly with John Roach. John Roach was pretty much pretty hands-on with almost everything that went on. So I'm certain that he did, but we didn't get into it in this interview. Okay. That'd be a good one, a good set of questions for the follow-up interview, too, if you can manage to arrange that. That would be one interesting thing to hear, because that, that was pretty unique to Radio Shack. I don't know of any other major computer company. I mean, Apple's always viewed as the educational one, because they gave discounts on the machines and the software, but they didn't come out and give out free promotional products like this that, you know, just, you know, and they're educational. They're not just, you know, to sell product and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. That YouTube video I thought was great because not only did it uh, talk about uh, Radio Shack's involvement in computer education, but it talked about why that was important. It gave a lot of good historical perspective. It talked about uh, what they did in Great Britain and uh, how they didn't do a lot here and how this really made an impact on people. And I, I thought that was a wonderfully done video. Yeah. Uh, and I hope it gets a lot, a lot of uh, views. That was a great video. Yeah, it was. And then just as, a, as a, the last bit here, 
And, and for anybody of us that grew up in Radio Shack back in the 70s and 80s, you'll, you should recognize some of the stuff. So this is an order form in the back cover of the Electronics History comic book. Uh, the top part is for ordering the actual comic book for, for schools and students and stuff. But the bottom parts you guys should recognize. Particularly this thing right here. Oh, the Battery of the Month <laughs> Club, yeah. Yeah, and I've got to say, as a kid, I built all the P-Box kits, probably as a result of some of these comics. I built all the P-Box kits. So so how many people here, just at a you know, show of hands or just say, yes, you did or whatever, but how many people had the Battery Month Club and actually did use it? I, I oh, certainly I did. did. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think they did. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're just carbon batteries, though. Yeah, right? those crappy red batteries. But we yeah, one free crappy red battery every month. And and at the store I worked at, because it, it, was, it was in Miami, and there's a lot of uh, elderly community in Miami. You'd always have the old people that would come in, and that's all they would do was just get that battery. <laughs> and they <laughs> would and they would come out like five minutes before the store is ready to close. Like, no, we want we're closing. No, but wait, I I got my battery. I need my battery. You know, they just came in and they got their batteries, and then they left, and they never bought a thing in the years that they would come. <laughs> go but they got that free battery you know probably on their way to the early bird special somewhere so <laughs> i remember being a cheap kid myself i actually tried to find vi- like those little handheld video game or not video game but handheld you know led game systems mm. i tried to find ones that only used one battery so i could last a month ah. without having to pay for batteries at all. i had to power all my p-box kits somehow <laughs> i remember working at radio shack and having to do inventory on those batteries and i thought really we're giving these things away and uh, we're counting them <laughs> <laughs> and of course the battery card itself uh, you know evolved that later ones i think were pure red and white i think and black there wasn't all the little you know, rainbow right, stuff right, 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 right. Modified it, but. Uh, another thing tandy gave away is uh in the 90s i think the early 90s late late 80s um there was a tandy computer store in rochester that um they would let us meet in their school classroom or whatever and have our uh, club meetings in there, which was cool because uh, we were at Tandy. <laughs> yeah. It was neat. Yeah, we, ne- we never did club meetings at Tandy, but Tandy did help co-sponsor. We did a couple of com- general computer shows. We invited all the user groups. So we had like Commodore, Atari, TI, us. And Tandy would actually help sponsor those shows and lend us some hardware. Uh, to demonstrate stuff on because they wanted to sell the products. And of course, we, we we set up our tables like right by Radio Shack. So if somebody came and said, oh, that looks really cool. I want one of those. They'd literally walk in the store and buy it. <clears throat> yeah, that happened to well. us too. In 86, mm-hmm. we had a show called Computer Fest in a mall. And uh, Tandy sent up all kinds of tables with uh, a, a new machine set up, you know, to play games and stuff. And uh, the uh, managers would walk around and yep. talk to people yep. and you know, and we were there to show them how everything worked for, for the public. It was neat. Yeah. Now, one thing I'm not so proud of, we also pirated the hell out of their software at this thing here because they got some new stuff in. We'd come out to demonstrate it, and when they weren't looking, we'd do quick backups, and then we'd put them back. But <laughs> we were teenagers. We were broke. What did we do? Yeah, uh, you know, try, uh, uh, John Roach talked about the Battery of the Month Club, and uh, that was one of the banes in his side because every time he wanted to introduce something that cost any money, Everyone would say, yeah, but we're the, we're the store where people come in for a free battery. I don't know if they're going to come in and get the spend $500 on a computer. And uh, that was one. And I, I think the $500 was the reason why it was $500 is because uh, that was the most expensive thing that Radio Shack had ever sold to that point. So he was not allowed to introduce a computer that cost more than $500. That was a limit. 
Yeah. And then by the time the Model 2 came out, they had a 75% profit margin selling it for thousands. <laughs> I know. That was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very, yeah, it was very successful. But I, I, uh, I, thought that, I thought that was very interesting. You know, that, that and, he, and he really went, I didn't talk about it in the video, but, but the MC-10, he really wanted to have the cheapest computer, too. And uh, so that was the that was the purpose of having that. So uh, everybody knows what happened with that computer. That's the second biggest failure that uh, Tandy ever did after the 2000 was the MC10. So yeah, at least the overhead on the MC10 wouldn't have been as much of a loss as the Tandy 2000. Though. No, no, that's <laughs> right. Okay, I will show the screen again and continue on the regular news. I just thought it was interesting to show everybody that. So. Okay, the next one, also part of the Septandi, this is uh, Noel's Retro Lab, and he did a mail call episode, which involved him receiving a fair bit of Dragon stuff, including some of the uh, the Eurohard, the Spanish company that took over Dragon when Dragon shut down in the UK. So we got some Dragon 200s and some of the disk drives and stuff, so I just thought I'd show the little clip of those, so because it's a fairly rare system to see. And here we have it. A Dragon Ooh, 200. never heard of that. So there's an interesting story going on there. Clearly, there's still some of the Dragon computers, but I believe this is like a version of the Dragon 64 that they did once the company moved to Spain and started manufacturing computers there. So it's pretty beat up. I don't know if we'll be able to do something with that. And I believe it's not even working. So we have a lot of repairs ahead of us. And it's not just one, it's two of them. So oh this is actually helpful because maybe between the two of them, we'll be able to make one work and the other one we can use for spare parts. In addition to the two dragons, we have a dragon disc controller, which is really cool. I always like to get which some accessories. Rare too, so yeah, we'll see with this is working. As a cost. And along with oh, the disc wow. controller, nice. we get a floppy disk drive. And oh my God, I had no idea this was so big and wow. heavy. That's what she I said. I saw the picture and mm. I thought it was like half the size. So <laughs> it's a drive. I don't know why it's so huge. I don't think <laughs> Again. it's like the Commodore 64 that it's a whole computer on its own. So oh, it must be a huge power Children. supply, I imagine. It's stuffed with so, batteries. Yeah. all free batteries. The last thing from this package. And then he gets his other cap we don't care about. So anyway. But yeah, he's 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 done one or two other videos too that involve Coco or the Dragon stuff. So I'm I'm going to keep monitoring his channel. So when he gets the Dragon flip and running, Take I want to see if there's any the differences screen. with the Dragon 200 versus the regular Dragons. Like, is the ROM any different or yeah? Take it off the screen. Oh, Ron's not happy with the Vic 20 being up there. So. <laughs> the fact it's all yellowed like nobody ever really yeah. used and just threw it on the sun or something. It's hurting his eyes, apparently. It's starting yeah. to twitch a little. <laughs> Retro Innovation says, finally, a good machine in the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Dragon 200 is pretty cool there. Uh, Jim. Yeah, he promised he wasn't going to bug us today. Am I booging you? <laughs> now, is, is Brian Schubring still on the call? Sure am. <clears throat> Rather than me just read out what's on here, how about if you explain what this uh, latest uh, DriveWire 4 VCC Windows video is all about and what, what caused you to make it? Ah, good question there. Well, basically what it was was that uh, Tony Pedraza um, was trying to get the VCC running, um, and that's because I had made a copy of his old system hard drive which was on a SCSI 
and I got it off of his hard drive and onto a disk image, which was had his the cup of cocoa BBS and all his personal files and stuff on it in that. And so um, he wanted to read it. And I told him that the uh, best way to do it, use drive wire. Um, and that he won't end up VCC since he didn't have a physical cocoa set up and all that. Um, and he didn't want to yank it all out. So what I did is I just put out a uh, kind of like a, a picture, a, a graphic of how VCC basically works so that you, you can configure it so that you can switch between OS 9 and regular um uh, RS DOS and such using VCC and DriveWire 4. And as you could probably see, um, well, you, since you're sharing the screen and that there, you can't see my screen. Um, but it just shows just the basic uh, settings that you need to do. Um, a lot of these files are coming from um, Bill Pierce um, from uh, the Barn Studios, and that uh, he had put together a starter kit. That uh, consisted of DriveWire 4, uh, 4.3.30, uh, which actually allows for multiple instances of DriveWire. So you can have, what was that? Oh, I, I don't know. It sounded like somebody was getting ready to barge in with something, but maybe not. Yeah, it did. So it sounded like something just dropped out. <laughs> Do you want to screen share your side, Brian? Um, or is Curtis able to just... Show it from the Facebook. What do you think's best? Yeah, I, I stopped it just in case you wanted to, but uh. um, well, th what what th what you had uh, up there was just 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 the basic information and uh, the video and stuff that I put together for that, just for uh, for setting it up. Um, but getting back to what my dialogue was was that Bill Pierce put this all together already. It was a starter kit, so you can run OS nine um, using VCC and DriveWire four. And then he actually uses that for the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, for his developmental work and all that. And so you can actually have a real Coco and VCC going at the same time. And that, and using DriveWire 4 as the connector between VCC and real Coco. So you just move it over. Don't have to move things over uh, using a, the, um, the card or a Wi Fi card like uh, you do, Steve. Um, it just, allows you to just use DriveWire as the vehicle to get the information from in, from the emulator to the real thing and that. So, um, you know, I have never tried to uh, share the screen or take the screen. Well, don't hurt yourself. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to hurt myself. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've got the... That's okay. Maybe that. Curtis can just go back to the Facebook picture if that schematic yeah. is good enough and you can just explain it to us. Okay. Um, where's the control for me to get to? Uh, there should be a green thing that says share screen somewhere on Zoom, and you'd have to click on that and choose what screen you wanted to share. Yeah. That's... Like right now we're seeing a screen of yours anyways with a uh, maze. Yeah, that's, 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 my, that's my desktop where I've got VCC running yeah os9 you know i got it overclocked like crazy um drive wire um uh, here well, drive wire uh, i could just mac i can just focus on your screen right now that we're looking at because it looks like it already has yeah it has everything that you need okay yeah so, so we're looking so, at so, so so this is everything here um once everything is installed um you know drive wire installed onto your machine and uh you have get it set up you go through the uh, the config 
um, configuration um, interface so that you can actually take and or the config wizard to get it set up. You know, one for um, using the um, the Burke or uh, the Becker's port mm -hmm. so that you can actually set everything up. And um, this here is just an editor for the any, and as you can see here, I've got one for Cocoa 3 on COM5, which is actually running right now. And then also then the main instance, which is uh, using for the uh, TCP connection to, uh, so that you can uh, use VCC. And so I can just simply just close that here. And um, so did so did you you essentially mounted his hard drive image into DriveWire? Um, yeah, yeah. I, there's there's uh, in the package there's uh, several uh, virtual hard drive images, uh -huh. and that that are that come in. And when you when you first start uh, start it up, okay, you have no you, you just have the cartridge, so you have to add your, the multi pack, mm -hmm. and then in the multi pack, what I had the way I have it set up is I got uh, the um, hard drive in slot four. I've got the uh, floppy controller in slot three. Slot two is the ORC 90 card. Slot one is the uh, Becker controller. And this and this is the vehicle that uh, creates a virtual port. Um, instead of a physical RC32 port, it's a uh, virtual port using TCP. And then, and then, um, you know, then when you, uh, for the hard drive controller, you enter in this particular file here, this is has the offset so that it actually VCC when it starts, it touches uh, this here so that it can actually boot OS 9. And what you have is that it has the hard drive system here that's that uh, so you can select, or oh, do you want to go to basic or do you want to do uh, OS 9? If you want to go OS 9, you press 7 in this particular version. There's an older version that you was version 5, but we don't need to go there really. So we just go through and boom, we've got OS 9 running. And um, this is a version that Bill Peart use, uses uh, for doing his a lot of his programming stuff. So it's got like C, Pascal, and stuff like that on in that. I'm not certain if the ones that he has up on uh, GitHub are the exact ones that he got me because I was uh, working uh, with uh, some programming stuff with him a little bit, or tried to, and uh, he kind of surpassed me. Um, but the fine parts, what I mean by fine is that the details that you need to set up is what really trips up a lot of people. And it even tripped me up at first, and it wasn't really until the past month I really you know, started going digging in because I wanted to update VCC to the latest, which is 2.1. Point zero, um, and I couldn't make. As a, and then I started reading, you know, some more of the documentation. I said, "Oh, I am a dummy." And <laughs> so, one of the things that you have to do, and th and this is important, is that you get to select what slot, of course, what, that you can boot on. So you want to have it boot on the hard drive. Right. That that's so that it can read the the boot disk that it points to in the Becker slot. And on DriveWire, that happens to be this disk image here so that it actually looks on DriveWire 
and then slips over to the uh, boot disk, and then it on, and then it boots it all up uh, when you press seven. But the other th thing that you have to really be sure of for configuring is the FD502. Okay, when it starts up, this is what's selected is the, the disk image. So when you do, if you have that and you press F9, which does a, a hard restart, it still kind of tries to start because it's pointing via the hard drive. Mm -hmm. Oh, it actually worked. Oh, it's, it's because it's in memory. Okay. Um, but for it, to, for it to start, you need to be sure that you select external ROM image, and then you and then you the ROM image is uh, for the HDB uh, DOS uh, with the offset, so that it knows where to find um, the uh, multiple boot disks on on the HDB RS DOS image. And once you have this selected, that then it works fine. If you want to go back and say just run. Um, a regular RS DOS. You just select on the f 502 controller, just basic. Mm -hmm. Go to the multi port, select three, because before it was still on four, that's why I was trying to still boot OS 9. Select this, and then you do press F9 for hard restart, and boom. You're now in regular DOS. So if I do a dir, what not dire. It works. Oh, it still worked. Wow. The E variable is set to zero, so it's doing a dir zero for you. Okay. 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 Well, well then okay, so dire isn't so bad. Um obviously when you take a look at the the floppy controllers, I've got digger three, and then the other ones are pretty much blank. So and this now it works just like a regular cocoa. You can clock overclock it, underclock, or not underclock, but overclock it or whatever. So if I want to play Digger 3, I can play Digger 3. And since I do have it overclocked, but you have an option, and this is uh, an option that, okay, where is that? It's in Come config on. CPU tab. Yeah. For on uh, display, you can throttle the speed. If you don't throttle the speed... Digger three just rips right through the screen, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure all of us like to see that every once in a while. Um, and then for the where is it? 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 Okay, I got to keep, keep going through these again. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Miscellaneous tape. Okay, I can't find it now. What were you looking for? Um, it was for. The uh, setting up um, overclocking. Yeah, it was the, on um, CPU. The yeah, CPU it's on the CPU. Tab. The mm -hmm. CPU tab. No, it's it was um, no no not not for the overclocking on this part here, but for the uh, for for on the emulator for the FD five hundred two. There it is. On that you can overclock the disk drives and such uh, so that okay so that the disk drives you can throttle the um the screen so that the play of the program is at regular cocoa speed or just a hair faster but then the disk drives just fly like scream because if i went right now and did a load m d3 watch boom loaded already 
Wow. But playing at the right speed. But playing at the right speed, exactly. So you've basically overclocked the disc controller or unthrottled exactly. the disc controller, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm throttling the display or, you know, the program play, mm-hmm. but uh, just this, but the hard drive or disc floppies controllers are screaming. Yeah. So that's, so, that's what, so that was the whole purpose of that, was just to kind of help others and get the information out there a little bit more clearly. Right yeah, now, in, so. in your so what you just showed us though, you were booting VCC, and for those who don't know, that's a virtual color computer three emulator. Uh, you're booting that to kind of a stock hard drive image that Bill Pierce created. But what did you do for Tony? Did you just instead of using Bill's hard drive, <clears throat> use Tony's hard drive, or was Tony's hard drive mounted as well, a secondary well, drive, the, or what? Well, what this allowed was that if you were when you got it set up so that it would um boot OS9 mm-hmm. or Nitrous 9 in this case here and I'll just switch back to that. You can now attach OS9 d- dr- discs Disc here, here. Disc images through DriveWire. A lot easier through DriveWire than trying to do it through VCC. Right, gotcha. And that because once you get booted up, you don't have to worry about the size of the disk image underneath um, drive wire as much as you do if you were trying to run it underneath VCC and the physical floppy drives because if the descriptor underneath OS 9 is set to 35 tracks you might be able to read most of what's on the disk image if it was a hard drive disk image but if you tried to write something to it and it and it try and it tries to go. Past. So are you saying this is overcoming a shortcoming in VCC oh, right now that VCC uh, can't? No, 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 no. It's not. It's not a shortcoming. It is bypassing the descriptors of of the regular physical floppy controller. Okay. Okay, because if it's underneath OS nine or Nitrous nine, mm-hmm. a floppy disk, if it is um, set up as a thirty five track. But you're looking at a hard drive disk image. You can run the risk of damaging the disk image if you try to write something to it if it's mounted on the floppy controller. Gotcha. By using DriveWire, it looks at it as nothing but a flat file. And correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Curtis, um, that, you know, that I think that's how it works on that, but... You don't have to worry about that at all because you're using a different descriptor that um, allows for, I think it's like, uh, let's see, 500. Uh, I, I, know, I know it's like about maybe, I think about 60 megs of uh, hard drive at least, but then it auto expands also. So if you go beyond that, it automatically expands and it doesn't corrupt the integrity of the disk image going through drive wire. Right. So drive wire is a is an, an extra vehicle of being able to take a large size disk image, look at it, you know, if it's an OS9, and read it, pull information off, add information onto it if you want. And um it's just in my opinion right. and, and then easier. Is that what Tony's hard drive was? Was it a drive wire hard disk image that you copied? Yeah, it was, it was it was it was a disk image in that. Um that was the disk image that I was asked to see if I could release out to the public, but because of personal information on there, right? Um, I couldn't do that, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, and, it's, and this then, is how I got Tony set up so that he can get his information directly. 
and is there a happy ending? Was Tony able to do that? Oh, yeah. He's happy. Okay. That's important. Okay. <laughs> all right. Cool. So so that's 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 the story behind all that. So, you know, I'm no big expert on it, but I know enough to be no, that's actually that's, dangerous. No, that's very helpful for and, – and David Ladd showed me this once years ago. And, and back then I did not give a rat's anus about drive wire or VCC. But it was kind of neat to see that they could be done. But um, – uh, drive wire is a very cool tool. I've said this for years. It's incredible, fantastic, amazing thing. Um, but no, so you're doing, and that's the drive wire four, which is the Java version, which a lot of us are actually starting to get away from, but still this is serving a very good purpose yeah. for VCC. Um, and, and you helped Tony with a problem and you showed other people how to do it. Yeah. Cause I remember David having to show me that kind of stuff too, having to override the ROM and the, and that's kind of what you would do with real hardware too. Like if, like if there was somebody on Facebook saying, Hey, I would love to be able to just boot up my Cocoa without a multi-pack and get into drive wire. How can I do it? Well, one way to do it would be to take a disc controller and, uh, and, Put you know, change the disk ROM with like a RGB DOS or HDB DOS or something like that, and just switch out the ROM mm-hmm. chip in your disk controller, and then boom, you are booting into something that will allow you to run DriveWire without needing a multi-pack or anything else. So yeah, um, well, yeah. How, how do we get Todd Pedraza's uh, files, personal files? Talk to him about that. There it is. <laughs> oh, come on, come on, come on. All your base are belonging to us. This, this, is, this was on a cocoa. Why, why was there a gap from when I said it to right. when it registered? Right. It was back in back then nobody was storing porn files yeah, on Nitrous Nine or anything where they said. And just as a side note, theoretically, you, you could use a, a pi drive uh wire. Um, I'm sure also. Yeah, my, Mikey's um, mentioning PyDriveWire has no limit on the hard drive image size. The Java server does have a limit size, but doesn't know exactly what it is, but it should work with PyDriveWire as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's just, you know, a form of DriveWire is all it is. That's, yeah. I like it, like to use that because it's an extra vehicle and it can also act as a bridge, especially if you can run multiple instances of it mm-hmm. so that you can have virtual and real and you can use it as a bridge. By uh, mounting the same uh, disk image. So anyway, Mate. that's all I've got. Mate. Well, listen, hey. you can't get cool. enough drive wire discussions, as far as I'm concerned. So that <laughs> that could have gone on for hours. And then yeah, that that's almost as good as nitrous nine discussions. So. <laughs> nitrous nine is better. <laughs> all right, Chris, you got more news for us? Oh God, yes. It's into Septandy, man. <clears throat> so next up, now we've covered some of Keith. <clears throat> uh, he goes by Chibi Kumis on on YouTube. He's the guy who does all these assembly language tutorials for a variety of CPUs and a variety of machines. So in this case here, he's got his next uh, lesson five on the six out of nine for the Dragon and Coco. Now this is more uh, this particular lesson is more generic to just six out of nine in general. But here he covers a lot of the logical functions. So he goes through explains stuff like and and or and exclusive or com neg. Um, how to fiddle a bit with the C condition code register, bit shifts, the bit commands, decimal adjust. He did a very good explanation of how that works because that sometimes confuses people. And the hardware multiply command, which he mentions, you know, as far as, you know, his 8-bit CPUs, that was quite nice on the 6809 because not any of the other ones actually had that. He had to do it all with software. He's been doing this as an ongoing series, and he actually gets into the hardware specifics of the Cocoa and the Dragon at times. <clears throat> so he's done stuff on reading the keyboard, reading the joystick, doing graphics, et cetera, too. So if you want to learn... 
uh, in general, 6 out of 9, or you know, Coco-specific stuff, he's got a very excellent tutorial series that is a good match for Steve's. But he also covers, like, he does the 80s, he does 6502, he does 6 to 8000. He just did one recently on how to do the sprites on the Genesis, for example, using 6 to 8000 machine language. So if you're just interested in assembly language programming for games in general, his channel is an excellent resource. Very cool. Hey, we know this guy. Yeah, I, I don't know where he came from, but uh, apparently he snuck on our show here today, too. So Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is, um, I, I don't know, do you want to explain this, Patrick? This is what you're getting the Coco VGA. I can kind of play without audio if you want to kind of. Yeah, so I um, I, I don't know if I'm uh, muted or not. Let me make sure I'm not muted. Am we I muted? No, we hear you. No, we hear you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I got this uh, from Brandon earlier um, uh, earlier in the month, and I wanted to make sure I got it out during Subtandy. Uh, but I hadn't really had a chance to get to get it going, and I, I just uh, uh, one night actually it was on the 28th. I uh, said I'm gonna get this video out, so I went and I installed it, uh, and I desoldered the RF modulator, which was kind of a probably a mistake that took you know almost an hour. But um, I ended up uh, putting uh, putting up a video just showing you the differences between my original video in the month and the exact same shot using the VGA, and it's 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 a remarkable difference. Um, so I think we can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, I mean, uh, and you know, the other thing too is, I mean, in the in the retro community, um, there's uh, stuff like this for every computer, but there's not anything I know that is so dramatic and so cheap as a Coco VGA. Uh, Coco SDC is another in remarkably inexpensive device, but uh, there's nothing else out there that, that, that makes this big a difference. I mean, this this takes the Coco one from being almost unusable because you know we're the TVs that can use a standard RF output are going away um, to, uh, to truly being a usable computer. Um, so uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was real pleased to do it. Now, uh, I didn't get a chance to really do a whole lot with it. I had, I only, you know, used three uh, programs, um, but you can see the difference. That's the original, that's the original. And uh, that's how it looked. And then that's a, that's a VGA version. Uh, so uh, they were, it was really remarkable. So that was basically all I did. The idea was, actually, it's funny because um, did you guys show the LGR Coco video? Yes, I believe we did. Okay, well, you know, LGR is one of the most popular YouTubers. He has uh, usually it's about two million views per per video, um, and he did a great uh, a great. But unfortunately, he had a a, a, re, a Canadian Revision B uh, Coco one, uh, and uh, so he. Uh, uh, he didn't do a lot with it, and uh, I emailed him after the uh, after the, the the came on Patreon, which is a couple of days before we came out, and I asked if he wanted to get uh, Coco VGA, and unfortunately he couldn't use one, or he uh, Brandon wasn't aware if it would work or not, so we were able, never able to get one out to him and have him edit his video before it went out live, but uh, or went out in the air. But uh, so I wanted to make sure that at least something got out uh, for Subtandy, and so this is kind of a quick and dirty four minute video. I. I released just uh, showing some of the differences between my original video and this one. Yeah, the video quality increase uh, is, is amazing on the Coco BJ. Now, have you had a chance to play with the extended stuff? Like, I know Brendan's got some demos for doing, like, 64 by 32 upper lowercase text, redefinable character sets, palettes. I haven't. No, I'm going to do a follow-up video. And actually, <clears throat> I'm giving away uh, this Coco that I've uh, spent all this money on and put all these upgrades into. Uh, and so on the video where I announced doing that, uh, that's uh, George the uh, dog, by the way, um, where, I, where I announced doing that, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, show them all the games and stuff that we can play on this and how, how good they look and kind of show the computer off a little more. 
and show some of those graphics modes. Uh, so that's the that's the idea. So uh, this uh, this Coco is going to be given away. And when I the video I do where I announce that giving it away, I'm gonna I'm gonna demonstrate what I can do by showing some of the cool stuff in the Coco VGA. So are you gonna keep a Coco for yourself? I have I have three. <laughs> oh, okay, good. I just wanted yeah, to make yeah. sure. I mean, you know, it's funny because, um, oh, you know, Cocos were, they aren't the cheapest today, and they certainly aren't after the Septandy. As you mentioned, Coco 3s are now ridiculous. In fact, I did a video about um, computers to collect and computers to avoid uh, in the retro space, and I've done a couple of those before. The Coco 3 has now made the computers to avoid list because it's no longer a good deal. You know, however, the Coco 1 ranked, uh, ranked second next to the TI as the best value. So... Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I have, I have three Coco ones revision F motherboards. So, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm planning on keeping those and doing some more stuff with them. But, uh, yeah, this, this particular one I'm giving away, the one I featured in this video. Cool. I'm sure some of you look forward to that. Cause I mean, for some people that aren't good at soldering, et cetera, putting the Coco VGA in isn't exactly the, you know, a super simple thing for, for those type of people to desolder the VDG, for example, on later Cocos. So having it already pre-done and, and people know that it works, it'd be a, an awesome giveaway for those people. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. You know, it, it's interesting. If you look at things like the Coco VGA, right, and then you look at the retro collecting community, the fact that a Revision F motherboard, which is the most common motherboard, I believe, you would probably know better yeah, than me. Yeah, it is. On it Coco is. One, uh, now they know what to look for. You know, uh, make sure that number ends in 285 on the board before you buy it, you know, uh, because, you know, you'll go to a thrift store or you'll go to a swap, a swap meet or whatever, and they'll have Coco One strewn around all over the place. It's a very popular computer. Uh, but they don't know is this the one I want or not, and then that answers that question. You know, so it's a it's a it's a cool device, and it and it kind of redefines the retro collecting space. It's one of those few devices that does that for that particular item. You know, um, uh, there's a there was a, uh, a recently a, a, a floppy drive emulator that came out for the Atari 8-bit line uh, that uses an Arduino and a little touchscreen. Uh, and I can't remember the name of it right now. It's a pretty cool device. But that has now made uh, people who would otherwise have not bought Atari 8-bits now buy them because they now know they have a way of accessing all the software easily and reliably. You know, And uh, so this is just a big an impact, I think, on the uh, Coco line. Yeah, same along with the Coco STC, as you mentioned yeah, earlier. As that's well. a shining endorsement for the Coco VGA right there. Well, it is. I mean, think about it this way. So if you if you take an average retro computer enthusiast, they're going to spend uh, usually between two and three hundred dollars on their first computer, right? So the question is, what is that first computer going to be? Um, and uh, most of the time, it's a Commodore sixty four, but you don't really get very much for that in a Commodore sixty four, especially not now. Um, and uh, and the other problem buying a Commodore sixty four is if you buy one for two hundred dollars, it probably doesn't work, you know. Uh, whereas if you buy a Coco, it's almost certainly going to work. And you can get the SDC and the Coco VGA, uh, change the memory, you know, upgrade the memory for twenty bucks, uh, and you're still under two hundred bucks for a very capable, really fun little retro computer. So um, I think that that's that's where that's where the, the market's moving now is not just what is cool or what you had when you were a kid, but what can I get everything on? You know, what can I get that's going to allow me to do everything that device can do for a price I can afford? Um, and, uh, and that's, that's where the Coco one really stands out. And without the Coco VGA, it wouldn't quite frankly, it just, because the, R, the RF output is, you know, as regular televisions get closer and closer to being gone, it, 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 it makes it, it would make it a, an unusable device for most people. Coco VGA changes that. So that really was a, a remarkable piece of equipment. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I did see your video, you know, doing your top five and of the best value and the top five of the worst value. 
And I like when I first saw the Cocoa 3 was on the worst, I was going, what are you talking about? That's an awesome machine. But then you explained it's because of the price right. ratio of what you can actually get them. And they're going for three, $400 now. I mean, they're costing more than they did brand new back in the day. Right. Which is, I mean, which is something you don't really want to encourage, right? So I don't want to encourage people to go out and, and get an overpriced Cocoa 3. And it's, it's pushing the value of the Cocoa 1 and 2 down. You know, I would, I would prefer people buy Cocoa 1s and 2s and modify them and make them usable machines. Rather than everybody go out and try and buy the Coke Biohack Lemmings, go out and try and buy one tiny little fraction of what's available and leave the entire line to go to waste. So uh, that's the reason I did that. I think it's important we encourage people to buy stuff that not only they can use that works well, but that encourages them to keep the stuff out of e-waste. So uh, that's that's the primary reason why I put that video out. Okay. And I'm sure Nick Marotta agrees with you because he keeps telling us you don't need a Cocoa 3. A Cocoa 1 and 2 is all you need. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to admit inside, I'm like, yeah, that, 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 he's making good points. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> no, anyway, I mean, thanks for putting th- up that video. Go ahead, Nick. Sorry. The Coco 3 has some cool stuff for it, no doubt. And, and uh, It does, but, but he's right. I mean, the, the, the cost of it's just gone nuts. And Septandi, yeah. as you mentioned, is not helping because it's it's driving the price up even more. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, I mean, is that, that's an eBay issue. I, people just think yeah. that, you know, because it's old, it's worth, you know, hundreds of, do- hundreds of dollars. Yeah, because a Coco Three, rather than being a fun machine to get into, which it is, is now turning into an investment. Yes, you know it's, it's part of my you know stock portfolio for retirement type thing. Because by the time I'm sixty, I'll be able to sell it for five grand or something. That's kind of the direction it's going. And bear in mind now too, these we're, we have collectors coming into market now who have never used any of these machines ever. They did not grow up with eight bit computers. You know, they're millennials or they're you know, and they're and they're they're going to buy what everybody else is buying. You know, and 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 heretofore that's been Commodore 64 and pretty much only Commodore 64. You wouldn't see someone who was under the age of 40 by anything but that. But um, I, I think that the Coco 3 Thex of Tandy will probably move into that space. And I'm hoping that those people who can't afford a Coco 3 will buy a Coco 1 and 2. But you can literally get a Coco 2 16K on eBay for 40 bucks. I mean, tons of them for 40 bucks. You know, and uh, like I said, for under $200, you can get everything that computer can do. Uh, for you. So I think it's a great value. Cool. More Septandi here. <clears throat> so this is AC's 8-bit zone, and this is just a preview video because he's going to be doing, and he mentioned this in a previous video because he, he's the one who had that whole you know warehouse of uh, Cocoa 2s and 1s and peripherals and everything else that he had had stored away for 20 to 30 years and hadn't touched. <clears throat> and he brought them all out, and and much to his surprise, all of the five Cocoa 2s powered on first try, though we had to fix the video a little bit. And this is a preview, so this is basically just him going through a bunch of parts he ordered to do some composite upgrade boards for these two Cocoa 2s that are only coming out as black and white. So I won't play the video because it's just kind of the parts thing, and it's a preview of the video coming up. But he actually found two different circuits for doing composite upgrades, so he's actually going to do a video showing making both of them and then what the results are. So if, if, if any of you have seen the differing kinds of, of composite video, this might be, you know, steer you to what might be the better one for you to pick to upgrade your own Coco 2. So go check that out. That was part of Septandi as well, of course. Now this one here is from uh, TGB Chris, who's actually a member of our Discord and in the Coco Facebook group. And he's done, you know, some OS9 and general Coco videos before, including that one where he hooked it up to the, what the heck was it, the control panel for a car? If you remember that one, we could actually mm, you know, yes. affect the speedometer and stuff. 
<clears throat> so here, I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this in his videos, and this covers his Model 4 videos and his Model 1 videos and his Cocoa videos, but he always has this little saying. He keeps going, hello, you rummy buzzard. And in this video, he does a quick Septandi one where he explains where that came from. I had no idea about the history of this. I just thought it was something he made up. But And I won't play the whole video here, so you guys go check it out. But basically, it's actually some hidden text that was on the original TRS DOS discs for the Model 1 snuck in by one of the programmers, which actually some people attendee apparently got ticked off. That's another thing you can ask John about. <laughs> um, but basically explains that this was something that was used as kind of a test pattern on disk formatting and stuff. And then it kind of got released to the public and wasn't supposed to be. And later on got replaced with some other sayings instead. But that's where the whole Hello, you Remy buzzard came from, was from the original TRS-DOS Model 1 disks. So it's a really interesting history on that weird phrase that he was, has been using this whole time. So definitely check that out. It's, it's very interesting. And he's used it on the Coco and Model episodes too. So I thought for sure that was an Australian thing. <laughs> uh, next up, Todd Wallace, uh, Lord Dragon in our chat there. Now, I think he's done this video before showing his DOS format command where he can format an MS-DOS or PC-DOS disk up to 720K from a Coco, which a lot of, like the one he's showing here, a lot of these USB ones can no longer format 720K disks at all. So the Coco is actually doing something for the PC's behalf because the PC itself can't do it. I think he's released this video before, but this one he, he's added a bunch of uh, text displays, or like overlays on there to help explain things better. So if you want a bit of a clearer picture of what it's doing and a clear picture of, uh, you know, some special details about it, this updated video will give you that. Okay, next up. We have from uh, Peter Westberg, and he's posted a screenshot of the first OS9 program that he has written in 36 years. And this is an expanded Dura command. Now, Todd Wallace, who we just discussed there, has done his own expanded Dura command. He took a bit of a different approach here. He's got the, it's Y2K compatible because some of the other older versions uh, don't. But he actually put the modified and created on dates, which OS9 does keep track of. So you can tell when the file was initially created, and then every time you do an update or change to it, it'll actually update the modified date, but to leave the created date the same, you know, like Unix and modern systems do too. So uh, he actually has that integrated in here, and he has the size in both hexadecimal and decimal, which is a nice touch because some people prefer thinking in decimal and some people prefer thinking in hex. And that's pretty good for not touching it in 36 years that he came up with this literally in about a week. Yeah. It's a shame all that. It's a shame that was all wasted on uh, OS nine, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Bite your tongue, Stevie. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's almost as bad as playing buzzer bait when Lancer's available. This oh, okay. Just Thank imagine. you, Curtis, for the great segment. We're going to move on now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just preparing for uh, for joust. What are we going to call it? Joust November, November joust. I don't know. What yeah, we're I'm not sure. Joust November. Joust November. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, I got to throw in some more OS9 now too, of course. Fantastic <laughs> operating system. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. Is it Soren Rogue? Rouge? Rouge? We'll go with sure Rouge. We'll go with Rouge. But anyway, there's uh, some gimmicks emulation and, and, and get real gimmicks machine he actually owns um, that he's been trying to get OS9 level two because OS9 level two for the gimmicks was a custom microware one that seems to have disappeared over the years. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, Gimmicks was a very high-end 6809-based system, which had a lot of hardware assist. It had buffered serial ports, more than a 16550 does even today. It had um, DMA controllers. It had the option for math coprocessors, uh, uh, memory protection, so you could actually prevent programs from overwriting themselves or trashing the operating system, so it was very stable. It was meant for very large 
terminal based, you know, businesses, et cetera, you could you know, run eight terminals off of it much faster than we did at work. Uh, cause you had all the hardware assist for it, but these were thousands of dollars. These were like, you know, five to 10 grand per machine back in the day. And you may remember they used to advertise in rainbow and color computer news. They have a full page ad for the gimmicks ghost and the gimmicks three and all this kind of stuff. So they've been trying to recreate a version of OS nine to boot using some of all this hardware. And for the first time, and this is based on dragon One Twenty Eight, the unreleased dragon One Twenty Eight prototypes, they actually had found the source code for their Dragon's uh, 128K support, which had NME support, et cetera. And he's ported it back to the gimmicks based on the Dragon source and actually got it to boot now. Now, it's not complete. He's still got to fix the boot module. He's still got to fix the disk drivers. He's got to fix some of the memory stuff. But he actually got it to boot up for the first time in, in years. So uh, he's continuing on his quest to get a fully working version of OS 9 for the gimmicks again. And I remember seeing these at uh, the very first Rainbow Fest I was at in 86. And there was some gimmicks, three machines running there. And there's these huge rack mount things with tons of cards and whatever else. But it was very impressive because that thing could run terminals at full speed. You wouldn't even know you were on a shared system with eight other users simultaneously. Wow. It, it was a, an excellent machine for multitasking. Like the time sharing we were talking about earlier, that's exactly what this was for. You keep saying you're trying to get it to boot. What is this all to boot, just trying to get it to boot? I'm going to boot you in the ass for that comment, Steve. Um, you know, I'm Canadian, and I thought the same thing. Like it's, it's like you're going to confuse the Americans. Yes. What are, what, are, what are you talking about with all this boot I mean, talk. speaking English confuses the Americans because they can't even spell and pronounce things correctly. So, no, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> Send all your hate mail to... Nick Marotta. Yeah, hey. Speaking he's of Bill Pierce. He's my Canadian liaison. That's right. More OS9 stuff. I'm just loving this news segment today. <laughs> so Bill Pierce, um, who we've mentioned before, uh, Brian Schubring just mentioned him too. Um, he's got a project called M-Shelf, which is a graphical alternative GUI, I guess, to multi-view. It's, it's not quite the same. It's, it's more meant as a file manager. So you can like copy files and do all kinds of things. It can update itself over the web using DriveWire um, and drive a bunch wire, of other features. Drive now, wire. it's quite a memory hog. That's one thing Nick Morandis and I have both noticed because it, it, you know, even with 512K, you can write out a RAM pretty darn quick. So he's now talking about doing a hardware text mode version, which will take a lot less RAM and be faster. And he was, you know, soliciting some feedback. And then he also did a bit of a mock up here of showing what it might look like. Ooh. So he's got, you know, an overlay window here and you can copy files between two different drives or two different directories from left to right, right to left type thing. Uh, so this is just a mock-up at this point, but he is actually going through with actually programming it, and it'll be a lot faster and still have all the features of, you know, all the file manipulations and moving stuff between disks and copying stuff like, off the web. This is like Norton Commander for OS 9, really. Yeah, and with, with full network support, too, because yeah. it actually will run through the DriveWire uh, TCP IP, so you can actually do stuff across DriveWire locally or over the web. Uh, in fact, MShell itself and Ultimus 3, I think, I, I can't remember if Ultimus 3 supports this yet. I know MShell does, where you can actually update the software in itself over the web, just like a modern PC would do. Yeah, so I'm looking so forward to see Ultimus it does. It does? Okay. And yeah. this is hardware text. So the hardware text did not have any of the box, like, line and corner pieces natively then, right? No, no, unfortunately no. not. Maybe on the Gimme X, if they eventually do a reprogrammable character set, we might get that option. Which would be really, really cool. Intent, Ed. Cool. 
Next up, and this is uh, kind of segueing back out of the Nitrous 9 stuff, uh, Robert Galt, who's done a Whew. ton of software. He's done EdTaz and <laughs> <laughs> Ed 6309. He's done tons of utilities for the Cocoa 1, 2, and the 3. He's done semi-graphics editors, semi-graphics 24 editors, all kinds of stuff. He's kind of like a, a jack-of-all-trades type thing, done a lot of stuff. Um, he's finally joined Facebook. He's, he lives out in the rural areas, so he's never really had a good enough connection for it, and now he's got it through his phone. So we uploaded uh, both a video and the disc image. You can download this little demo. It's a little graphic demo. And uh, this is a dual boot floppy image. So it's actually got the RS-DOS version of this. What is this all about, this dual boot? And the OS 9. Yeah, a boot. <laughs> He's got both operating systems version of this program on the same disc image. You download it once and you can just tell it to run it through Nitrous 9 or OS 9 and you can run it through Disk Basic. I'm not sure which version this is. I think this is the disk basic version, but just a little, like he said, you could use it as a screensaver. So it's just a little graphic demo he wrote. Pretty quick. Yeah, it's an assembly because Robert does a lot of assembly stuff. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Robert and Nick Morentes have worked together to fix some bugs that were found in the EdTasm 6309 patches. And you got them out pretty quick, I think, Nick. It was within a few days, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, he works on them straight away. That's Unlike me. Nitrous 9, where you know, we take months before we release anything. <laughs> anyway, free download demo if you want a nice little screensaver for your Cocoa. No matter what operating system you're running on it, uh, go for it. And uh, just a big welcome to Robert for joining into the Facebook community. He's been on the list for you know decades type thing, and he's been on the uh, FidoNet Echoes back in the day too. But he's never been on the modern stuff on like you know, Facebook or, or Discord now. I, is he on Discord now, Stevie? Was he one of the new I ones? I don't know. No, no not, not on who I reported this week. No. Okay, we'll have to convince him to do that too so he can get involved in some of the discussions. But it's good he's on Facebook now because he's got a much more public profile because not too many people read the listserv. The what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking to Boot? What are you talking to Boot? Yes. <laughs> This was a rather interesting one here, too. Aaron Davis had mentioned just a couple days before this post that he'd written uh, one of you know, the Conway Game of Life simulator things, but he okay. lost it years ago, and he figured he couldn't get it, but he suddenly found it again. So he quickly uploaded it to Facebook so people can download it. Now, there's been other versions by you know, Sockmaster, Dunwin, Alan Cox, Dunwin, there's a bunch of others, too. But uh, he was just very happy that he actually found it and was able to give it to the public to be able to play with. Cool. So I wanted to mention that. I should make sure that gets on the archive, too. <laughs> Uh, also, the Coco Crew released their new episode 64 here at the end of the month. So the the main features of that one, there's a tech segment on RGB versus NTSC color on the Coco 3. I think this was done just because Nick Morandis likes that so much. Um, and the difference between the NTSC and the PAL type thing. They also did a review of Rick Adams' uh, Omnistar uh, for Neil's Game Corner. And then this one here, when I'm showing the screenshot here, is they did an interview with Nate Lockhart, who had done the... Uh, cassette inlays that you could print out uh, for games with actual screenshots. It looks very professional. I really like yeah. the looks of this. We, we discussed this about a couple months ago, I think. Now, um, But yeah. basically, they interviewed him on where he got the idea, the fact that he was getting into the Cocoa and stuff. So it's a pretty interesting interview with Nate. It's definitely worth the listen for that. Is there more than one picture of that, or is that it? I think that's the only one here. I'll see. Put another one later. Yeah, that's the only one in this one. Yeah. I can zoom it up. Now, does it have an insert or a flap or anything, or is it just like... Cause, for those who are Get the not flap in, here. Okay. Those not in the know, the cassette innard is actually what's called a J card because of the bend. It kind of looks like the letter J. But then you can get all kinds of fancy. You can have multiple folds inside your J yeah. cards and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's cool. I, I, when I used to do custom cassettes of my um, 
MIDI stuff that I used to do back in the 90s. I would print up J cards like that and have to fold them and cut them and <laughs> not multicolor or anything, but just on colored paper, you know. So, Stevie uh, Stroh mixtapes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it looks really good. I like the label, the spine label, and you get the color uh, screenshots there. You can kind of see the RGB and scan line effects in the picture and stuff. It looks pretty neat. Um, neat little project. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a, a good, if you're still using tapes, I mean, this probably appeals more to the Dragon people than the, the Coco people because we tend to use the discharge. Yeah, I wonder, because like, like we've got scans of all the cartridge labels. If somebody needed to reprint a cartridge label for, for one, I'm wondering if they've got scans of all their cassette J cards if they needed it. Like if somebody got, let's say I bought on eBay, I got the tape and I got the clear case, but it doesn't have the label. I'm wondering if they um, have high-res scans of a lot of those uh, micro deal stuff and everything that you they could reprint if they needed to. Yeah, <clears throat> and the, I mean in, in the Coco market, our cassette J cards actually weren't as impressive as the Dragon ones. The Dragon guys just went all out, you know, full color and you know really nice artwork and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we did the more kitchen table. We were selling a doggy bag type thing um, here, at least until disc disc. I think we started to see some of the custom disc you know, sleeves and stuff with Tomic software and gold mm. type of thing. But uh, they definitely were more into that on the, on the Dragon side of things. Very cool. And, of course, the org. <clears throat> if you want to listen to this episode, it's got the episode notes, which kind of goes through. If you want to just jump to certain things, it'll tell you, like, whereabouts in the show certain segments are. Uh, this one here in the Color Computer Group on Facebook, for those of you who've been watching it lately, there's been a new person in there, uh, name of Ruth Kim Ann Moss. Now, her dad passed away, and he was a computer collector slash hoarder. Has a ton of stuff, ton of Tandy stuff, a ton of non-Tandy stuff. And she's done multiple messages of these where she's actually going through the inventory with plans to sell some of the stuff. And uh, she has a fair bit of the Cocoa stuff in there, too, as she discovered. Oh, Color scripts it. I want to get called dibs <laughs> on that. Now, have you guys heard of this one here? Valentine Coco Extravaganza for the Tiosity Color Computer Program Disc? No. I would not heard of this before seeing the picture. I'm hoping some of the stuff gets scanned and submitted to the archive if it's not already in there. Well, she's selling it, and she's not a computer user per se, especially not a retro one, so I'm hoping whoever does buy this stuff yeah. when she puts it for sale does, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, and I know she won't. She Cronus Rift. Yep, superscripts it, which is see uh, that says model, model four superscripts it. Okay, so that's not ours then. No, no, oh, damn it. Like I said, she the, she's got a ton of stuff. There's there's some Commodore stuff in there. Mm. There's old model one three four stuff in there. There's Coker stuff in there. This is just one of her posts. She's been gradually posting like maybe a two yeah. pictures in this particular case, yeah, but she's yeah, posted yeah. like eighteen at a shot. And her hardware, there's like like color mice and computers themselves and stuff. And she's still going through it. There's so keep your eyes posted. Yeah. Um. I'm not sure when stuff's going on sale. I'm not sure how she's figuring out prices, et cetera. But anybody wants some of this stuff, uh, definitely keep an eye on Facebook literally daily because I'm not sure when she's pulling the Seems trigger. Seems like a road stuff. trip maybe in order. Yeah. As someone who has a lot of old Cocoa stuff, the amount of modeling on the Cronus Rift says it might still load. It, they, As they overheat and get old, it, the label models more and more. So yeah. that Cronus Rift will probably load, which probably means the one just above it isn't as good a shape. The Model 4 thing looks great, but they always do. They have better labels. But, yeah, this might be a good thing to look at. Hmm. Yeah, and she's got some stuff in there that her dad had that are, are a bit more unique. I mean, Cronus Rift is fairly common because um, it was sold at yeah, Shack. There's a ton of them, but 
She's got some third party stuff in there and some of the rare hardware too that uh, Tandy sold. So there's there's a lot of stuff. Like there's a ton of posts from her, right? I think there's at least four or five. Some of them have twenty pictures each. So I didn't put them all in here, but definitely go check them out. And it's if any like of if any of us actually are the people that order some of this stuff, like like Nick was saying, anything that's new that we don't have on the archive, please scan, make copies, et cetera, and put them in the archive so we don't lose it. I just think it's funny. The original Tandy labels are like G-Shock stickers. The amount of modeling tells you how likely it is the disc is still good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, it, when it becomes mainly modeled, it won't load. I got lots of them. <laughs> it won't even rewrite to... <laughs> Next up in the MC10 group, one of my favorite on groups, by the way. Facebook, I know it's it's. You've always told us that incredible, Steve, just, fantastic yeah. group, great people, great system. <sighs> <laughs> sorry, did I, say, did I say out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, Jim McClellan has released a uh, humble contribution, as he calls it, of a program called McDraw. He wrote, and this requires the MCX basics, so the extended basic, even though it's a low res editor. So it's an SG4 editor, basically. Um, and it, this is a beta, so it's still got some quirks and stuff. And he's been talking back and forth with Jim Gary. Who else would you ask for you know, MC10 advice uh, for fixing it up? But he actually you know, showed a sample program here. And it's up for download in the MC10 group on Facebook. Uh, you just showed us a little sample. And, of course, he's got a lot of RF here because he doesn't have the composite mod, just the MCX. And that, if I remember correctly, Steve, I think you may have tried the MCX. Doesn't it generate some extra RF when you plug it in? I'm actually I'm not sure. Or do you have the composite board? I have a composite mod now, but I don't remember it being terrible. Okay, I got a pretty good signal out of mine in MRF. Oh, maybe just is a little bit bad because I've seen a couple people say that the MCX was generating extra RF compared to what the computer on its own did. Anyway, that's a sample image that he did with the American flag there that he did with his editor, and like I said, free download requires the MCX because of the extended basic commands he used. So now, there's one thing in the news here. Um, I'll just mention, I don't have a picture or anything for it, but Ed Snyder on, I think it was Thursday, released at least another updated Gimme X firmware for the beta testers. And there's been a bunch of little glitches, like some scrolling stuff wasn't working, some timer IRQ stuff wasn't working, so some sound and some games wasn't fully working properly. Um, I've been to chat <laughs> a chance to test uh, all of the issues that had been found by ourselves and uh, Paul and a few other people that have the Gimme X boards. But the stuff I've tested so far has been all fixed. And Ed says almost all of it should be fixed in this version. Um, we did fully test it with a 2.86 megahertz mode and everything's working fine there. In fact, there's less glitch artifacts on the screen now too. So um, it seems to be progressing well. I don't know how many more bugs we'll find, but I'm hoping that means we're getting closer to the actual official release of the Gimme X. Now for the people across the pond for the Dragon, we have mentioned this before. There's a lowercase text kit uh, available for the Dragon by John Whitworth. And he actually sells these out pretty quickly. Uh, so he just got some more in stock. So he announced that in the Dragon group on Facebook. And for those who don't know what it is, it's a lowercase kit, little car that you install. But it's also got dip switches. So you can do inverse video. It's got some alternate character sets that are built in. So it's a bit more, it's kind of like a halfway point to the Coco VGA. It gives you some extra font capabilities you wouldn't normally get on a straight lowercase kit, but not up to the Coco VGA where you can just redefine it as a whim. Um, I think we've probably shown some of this, but you can see like this one's got kind of a bolder font, more of a CJ font, but it's yeah. also got some of the special characters like that little diamondy thing. Mm. And then there's the inverse video version inverse, of it. Yeah. That bold looks nice. 
There's uh, some lowercase samples. There's a, a bit more traditional set. Yeah, thinner. But a little bit different than the stock one. A bit more one with serifs. I think that's how you pronounce that. And then there's a more standard version as well. Now he's playing Quest with lowercase. Anyway, it's a pretty nice upgrade. I, I don't know what 30 pounds translates to these days, but I don't think that's very expensive either, is it? It's almost double at this point because I just bought something in uh, in pounds and it was almost twice that. It's about uh, it's about, so about fifty five dollars. Yeah, US, probably. Yeah, and it comes with those extra fonts built onto the board there, so uh, as well as the dip switches for changing them. And but it looked like there was a socket too. So that would that be for an external ROM if somebody wanted to add something? Yes, else there to is it? something in here about. So that would just replace the current VDG that's there. Yeah, kind of like the Coco VGA. So it plugs into the VDG, then you put you plug your normal VDG back into it. Uh, I can't remember if you actually have to plug in the old VDG or not. Maybe I'm trying to see what it says here. It's not been tested on a Tano Dragon just for the size of it. Electrically, it should work. I don't know if anybody who has dragons on the panel here have actually seen any of these cards, mm. like Brian or yourself. Yeah, it says there you'll use there right your, use your VDG. Yeah, it's assuming you'll use your existing chip. <clears throat> okay. Anyway, back in stock for those that want to order that and Neat. get some of the extra capabilities. So that wouldn't work on a Coco. Um, I don't what if it's just a VDG hack? It might. I mean, that's basically the same principle as the original lower kit from like. Uh, Dennis Kitts. Dennis Kitts and, and some other people. Microtechnical Products, I think, did another one too. So it it might work, but I wouldn't guarantee it. He was more concerned about it fitting because it has to, you know, sit over top of other chips and capacitors and stuff. This one here was brought up by Rob Inman. <clears throat> now we covered this when uh, part of Septandi there was an interview with Ken Williams. Actually, Dinty mentioned it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a really good interview there where he actually goes through the cocoa. So his book that he was promoting for that interview is actually out now. And you can order it both as a physical copy, which I believe Rob has done, and then also the digital copy, which some of the people in the Amigos have already done as well. Um, kind of going through the history of Sierra. And, you know, not all fairy tales have happy endings because Sierra kind of didn't end well. Mm. Um, but just from watching the uh, the original, uh, you know, interview video as part of Septandi, it was a pretty interesting interview explaining, you know, and, and Dinty mentioned this as well, and John Roach mentioned as well, about... Uh, you know, how the, the, the synergy between the Tandy 1000 and Sierra, you know, they originally designed the game to use the 16 color graphics mode for the IBM PC, PC Junior. Junior. That disappeared overnight. Yeah. Plus the sound chip the PC Junior mm-hmm. had too, which also did the same thing. And then when the Tandy 1000 came out and did it right, you know, had a proper keyboard and everything else that all of a sudden it just took off and it literally saved Sierra. And of course we eventually got ports of a couple of the games uh, of that, ilk on the Coco 3 and we had early ones too like Winnie the Pooh and you know some of these educational games that were done by Sierra on the Coco 1 before that so really good history book on that really looking forward to uh, reading it eventually here and uh, hopefully we'll get a book review from some of the people on the panel that have ordered it they were pioneers though Sierra Online was pioneering computer entertainment for a long time yep and I had such a crush on Roberta (laughs) <laughs> oh you saw that one adventure game cover um too did you when they're in the hot tub <laughs> <laughs> that's a rather infamous one the photo shoot from that was rather infamous too back in the day 
And then the last story, this just came out this morning, actually. James Rye posted a video called Adventures in VCC Number One. So obviously he's planning on doing more of these, but um, he's taking the current version of VCC and then adding some extra functions to it. And he kind of explains how he does it, showing the source code. Um, so now we've got this rival thing because we've got OVCC trying to add some features. We've got VCC trying to add some features, which is kind of getting confusing. So I hope the two teams can start talking to each other. But basically in here, he actually uh, shows you how to program, how he programmed in and demonstrating the use of doing cut and paste functions uh, in VCC, which would be nice and handy. And I haven't had a chance to fully watch the video. I just kind of read the description for that description of what, what it's happening. So I don't know the details. Uh, so check the video out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Jim is the one who brought the um, composite artifact color fixes to it as well recently. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, that made a huge difference. He's on Discord. He's actually one of the boosters of our server too. And um, yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, I just I just hope the person who's doing the OVCC and him kind of work together because I'd like That's, to see the same feature sets. Um, what's his face? Can't think of his name right now. Yeah, the main advantage to OVCC is that it's cross-platform. It'll run yeah. on Linux. It'll run OS ten. Walter Windows Zambody well. was his name. Was right, OV- right. He's on Discord too. I think we have an OVCC channel because because a recent survey determined there were not enough channels on uh, Discord. So I'm pretty sure there is an OVC. Yeah, and by recent survey, I think you just mean you and David Lang. <laughs> but yeah, Walter's on Discord, so he's reachable. Um, but well, we should get the two as, to contact each other and kind of work what together. The synergies and harmonies are that's difficult to say. Yeah, I, I'd like them to like to keep the base, um, because, especially because of the cross-platform thing. I'd like to see them at least keep common functions, especially useful ones like this. You yeah, know, in absolutely. synergy between the two, so we don't just have you know I got to pick this one because it has this feature I want, this one doesn't, and you know vice versa. All of a sudden, I've lost features because I had to switch to this one for the feature I did want to try. Yeah, and that's it for the news this week. And a wonderful Septandi was, I think, hugely successful. I knew that all along. You know, it was just amazing, and uh, well, I think it's, it's helped cross promote our show to other people. It's helped cross promote other shows to us that we probably wouldn't yeah. have seen normally. Yeah, no, you've done a hell of a job this month, Curtis. I really want to commend you on that because uh, good job. You have scoured the internet for all kinds of content and all kinds of people that we not, would not necessarily have known about, um, including and, our guest on the show today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and so, well for us, it's Octandy. Octandy, now yes. <laughs> so <laughs> there is um, more Septandy videos coming in October. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, but I I really want to thank you, Curtis, for all of that uh, community outreach you've done. Just you know, finding the, these channels and and featuring them, and also you know, kind of helping them and also inviting them. Like we've had we've had at least one of them join Discord. We've got uh, we got one on the show today. Um, you know, so that's cool. Anything we can do to kind of help those uh, public relations going and, and help make the community you know more involved is awesome. So. Great yeah. job, man. And I'm only going to serve this temporarily until you get somebody that can pronounce a boot correctly. A boot, so. yes. <laughs> yes. And, and Mike, about. You guys feel like Americans. About. About. Get to the chopper. <laughs> anyway, that's Thanks, the news Curtis. for this week. So I'm hoping it'll tone down a little bit now that Septandi's done here and I can actually get back to programming Nitrostein and working on the manuals, which I should be doing. But about, for most of these, I try to actually watch the whole video through. I don't want to be one of those people that just f- says it, mentions a cocoa and throw it on without a clue what it's about. Mm-hmm. And some of these videos are long. I mean, you know, half an hour, an hour, occasionally two hours. So it, it takes a while to get through them all. But thanks, everybody, that put out the content for Septandi. I think it's been a huge success. Absolutely. Huge. Been a great year for the cocoa, for sure. Huge. 
All right. Do you want to do updates and acquisitions, and then? Uh... Yeah, how about we do a commercial break. I'm sure Ron Delvaux probably needs to potty. Um, so we'll do a commercial, we'll do do a commercial break and then we'll come back for the final segment of the show. Everyone's favorite segment, right? Project updates and acquisitions show. Oh, I thought we were going to do game on challenge results again by your, Uh, (laughs) I was going to say what again already? (laughs) Yeah. Jim brain was rooting for the end of the show credits, but (laughs) really, really, I'm kidding. All right. So I wish I knew I want to play the Coco two commercial, that is the Coco Do in English. I just don't remember which one that is. Fletcher. If only they were in English terms. EOU. For just click, click on the Aboot box about yeah. them. And, uh... I don't know which one it is. So I am going to just try this one here with I'm a Coconut and Coco Two and Boomerang, and we'll see. I'm not sure if this is it or not, but we'll be back after these words. Just start clicking it. We'll return after these announcements. What's going on, everybody? The Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A. Coconut.com. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stevie Stroh sent you. Coco forever, people. Hey there, it's Andrew here with the Tandy Speech and Sound Cartridge that I won from Coco Talk Live. So uh, next time, make sure to tune in. It may change your life. Coco Do's got personality, lots of practicality, fun, it's sensational, learn, it's educational. Coco Do's expandable, so easily commandable. It's programmable, so term exam grammable. Just you and Coco Do do what you want to do. Coco Do, the color computer with personality from Radio Shack. Sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco Do do what you want to do. Just you and Coco Do. Boomerang Memory Board, BoysOnTech.com production. They came for us in broad daylight. Hungry. Watching. One member, they said. More power. Proper design at an affordable price. We took shelter. They were unstoppable. We're coming back for more. In 2019, what goes around comes around. Boomerang 512 Classic, $15. Two megabytes for $49. Available now. Boomerang Mania is real. Hi, this is Antonio Jimenez, author of such projects such as the Stevie Throw Devil and the SD Pack, and you are watching Coco Talk in 3, 2, go. And we're back with everyone's favorite show featuring a tiny color computer and Canadians that say a boot. 
What is this boot all about? I don't know, but we'll find out. We're here. We've had a special guest today, Pat Randolph, a.k.a. Denty from Denty's Hideaway. And uh, what is next? Nick Morota, our host with the most. All right. We're going to do project updates and acquisitions. And we have a short list of people who uh, identified having uh, something to show. And we can ask afterwards if anybody else does. So let's start off with uh, Rick Euland. I had to hit the unmute. Okay, sure. Um, somewhere between my Coco 2 and my Coco 3 in acquisition world, I bought this thing. A realistic Ooh. lab 260. And the reason I bring it up is because I also have the physical Radio Shack slip. Oh, that's cool. With my name. And uh, let's see. Can I share screens from here? I, yeah, I cannot share screens. But stopped. if you'll let me. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just stopped sharing. Okay. Let's, let's crash down into it. And there it is. Yesterday. The cartridge is upgraded to a Sure 97, and the tracking force is down to a gram and a quarter, but the old gal's still playing, so I don't see that's it. fun. Are you sharing yeah. screens? Are you sharing? I don't see anything. Yes, else. I should Where, be. Would you see a webcam? Oh, you have to click the share button. and like Say you're going to share, and then click. Yeah, I did. Let me okay. go back and try Whatever it again. It it's a two-step uh, Share box. screen. Oh, and then hit share again. Yeah. Are you running Nitrous 9? And that might be the problem. Uh, no, I'm running. <laughs> I haven't been done already. Ubuntu, old Ubuntu. There we go. There we go. Okay. Sweet. So the, there's the old gal. She's still spinning around. Um, like I say, different cartridge, a lot less tracking force, but it's still going. So hey, Tandy for the win. And that's. I, I have a question for you, Rick. Do you, do you still have the July '83 Rainbow that had that little flexi disc record that had the three programs on it you could try on? I do not. I, oh, I never had it. It's the one thing that, you know, and then all the other ones molded, so I don't have any rainbows anymore. Um, I had a nice brick of rainbow-like substance, but there was no way to turn it into magazines again. Um, in any case, let me, let me turn off the... Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, that is so, so sweet. Okay, so then I was digging through my stuff, and I have a lot of twofers, so, uh, you know, um, hey, Steve, never going to give you uh, never gonna. <laughs> It's my favorite operating system. I've gotten so much there's, done. My productivity. There's the two OS 9s. Yes. Um, but along the theme, I found, okay, everyone remembers the commercial software in the Setting Sun binder. Oh, yeah. Um, here's Profile, sort of their standard copy page, right? But before that, there was Tandy Educational Systems, and Ooh. they sold it with a 90 dash skew number. Ooh. Same program. Um, there's a little spiral binder that fit more in a classroom setting and so forth. Um, so I thought that was kind of weird, and there's one. Um, let's see, where am I? And then, so here's the two in size comparison, and then OS9 had a profile. I have no idea if they're related in any way. But, hey, it still says it's a profile for mm -hmm. the color computer. So there's a 2-4 that is actually 3. Um, then going on in the database, we had sculptors. There was uh, OS9 had two 6809 sculptors. There's one without um, SQL, and there's one with SQL, the scourge of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that guy taking yeah, a dump right there looked like he was... 
It's constipated sitting on that S there. Uh, <laughs> Could be. I, I spent too many years writing crap like this. <laughs> so that's that's what my sculptor knowledge led me to for the last 20 years. Wow. But uh, anyway, back in an earlier day, we only had to worry about the uh, Frank Hogg Lab ads printing on the back of the binder. <laughs> Remember that ad? Put it yep, up to I a remember mirror. The sculptor ad too. Put it up to the mirror so we can read it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So then we all had Dynacalc, right? Oh and yeah. An, oh, yeah one of my favorites. How many people saw <laughs> Dynacalc? Anybody who's got to use got it, whether they know it or not. Right. And then here's one. I think is Deck B. The disc doesn't load anymore, but it's Dynacalc again. Uh, <laughs> nice. Scott Schaefer. Yeah, I think that's the right guy. But in any case, there's another double I came up with. And then, of course, the two flight simulators. Nice. We have flight simulator one where this is the entire world. Wow. And then my, flight simulator my, two. My flight simulator two box looks just like yours. Hmm. They all do, I think. They, yeah, they have Squished. a remarkable rigidity. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know. A lot of this stuff inside, and I have the pack somewhere with all the extra maps, but all the maps are printed on large paper that's I can't deal with anymore. Um, let's see what else have I got. Go the tale of next. two labels. Connect. Um, I used to make a uh, a mini two thirty two port. Um, Dave Myers of Coco Pro asked me to send him a sample. I did, and his reply was, "Okay, your label could be improved. How about this one?" Oh, so yours was the top label? <laughs> exactly. That's what I was using. Uh, and uh, this is what he sent back in his reply email, which I, of course, slapped strict on the product and the way it What's went. What's wrong with your label there, Rick? It's pretty. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it's pretty. They, they were much prettier back in the, And incidentally, this is regular printer paper stuck on with spray. Adhesive? Contact cement. Okay. With a... Uh, piece of boxing tape on top the labels were sized so the boxing tape would write over it so it was a plastic coated label ah and thanks to dave's artwork because all i had was a cocoa Co I couldn't do yeah right like that. yeah that looks good man so then moving from two labels to two serial ports here is the mini 232 which was made with drafting tape and then the uh, fast 232 which was very much more advanced because i used a ruler and a drafting pin to draw the traces and then i conned some board company here in milwaukee to print it for me that's <laughs> oh, good man and uh so anyway um i think that's all the twofers i've got for today man, what, but, we're uh, great photography skills and presentation skills yeah, are too really sir nice. you are definitely making you're too good for our show man <laughs> so, uh, not likely just give me a while oh by the way you'll notice my my uh home entertainment system is a turntable an old lafayette fm tuner a pa amp and this dvd player nice so, well, dvd is uh, a little out of place technology wise but uh yeah it looks like you have a guitar pick in the top so i'm assuming you're still playing guitar then too Oh, yeah, I'm still doing some of that. And here's oh. my little rec Zoom recorder here. So and what's can... with you? You have it lit up so you can see. Oh, yeah, what? you pull it out, a little light lights up. I did that yeah. years ago. I actually built this whole 
you wouldn't believe it. I have a stereo stand and a TV stand with a little swivel top for TVs that don't exist anymore. Oh, and, you could like uh, rotate the TV on like the little turntable that it was on to exactly, change the angles and stuff. In. Yeah, Sweet. that was high tech. Plastic wood grain or wood grain wood grain? On the it's probably uh, laminate, it's, right? Probably it's, particle board it's laminate, or is it real wood? wood? It's wood grained plywood with wood grained press on laminate oh. tape <laughs> on the front to yeah. cover the fronts of the plywood. Because you know this was just a thing I built. Oh, okay. And then I, I used shelf drawers to make the little sliding shelves. Oh, this is shelves. homemade. This is homemade. This is not. Oh, a... yeah. This was all. You should see the whole. It was a whole living room thing. Oh, neat. And I built the speakers. If you ever see a thing in my living room, which I don't have right now, I, I I had a program that let you mathematically determine the size of your speaker cabinets and all that crap. Wow. So I built speakers to go with it. It was the yeah, whole Radio thing. Radio Shack had a book about that. A book? Oh, nice. What is that book about? <laughs> the boot did revelation. Yeah. Oh, that's good cool. you're still playing guitar, Rick, because the next time we can have a Cocoa Fest in person, we'll have to jam together like we did back in the 90s. Right, right. I'm I'm afraid I'm going to have to get my fingers uh, bending again, but that's what the Zoom, Zoom recorder is all hey, about. Curtis, if uh, you're... Uh, oh, you suck. Now, how can I make that better? If you I start now, stop. Curtis, you can probably get that mullet back, too, by next year. I yeah, just I think the picture of Rick and I jamming together, I still had it back then. So. <laughs> You're supposed to be a skinny guy with long hair. So was Alan Huffman supposed to be a skinny guy with long hair? Except yeah, he also had a, an overcoat and a towel. Oh, yeah, and a towel. Okay, although I still got... I could or bathrobe and a towel, sorry. I could do the... Clint <laughs> Fricker thing and throw out my thin locks. Um cool. Anyway, that's what we got so far. I know I have a lot more stuff like the two downlines and stuff, but I couldn't get them out in time. No, I like the photography. I like the little uh, light box look he kind of had going on there. It's pretty cool. That's my eBay sales skills. Okay. Good job. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. All right. And we're going to move on to our Alan Murphy. You have something for us. Oh, yeah. Just uh, a nice acquisition from the Cylon Homeworld Coco Mech keyboard. And uh, really liking that a lot. Took my old Coco 3 keyboard out and put that in my Coco 2. So I have uh, unnecessary extra keys on the Coco 2 now. They work. You can still read them. In fact, there was some software to use the keys too. So, And that would be why. And then my uh, Coco 2 keyboard, I'll probably get one of the little USB adapters and uh, build that out as a, you know, emulator keyboard or something. Now, did you get just the standard uh, Coco Mac keyboard? Did you get the uh, Nitrous 9 friendly one? I wanted the Nitrous 9 friendly one, but that was not an option. And uh, this was in the, oh, four appeared and then four disappeared raid. So uh, I just went ahead and grabbed what was there. So, But yes, I do want one of the OS 9 ones if those do get printed up sometime soon. Yeah, if you if you pre-order it from Ed and just you know get on the waiting list for it, he'll... Let you know it might be several months before he gets to it, but he will eventually produce them. Yeah, I'm on that already. So what do you got? Are all your keys gray? Like all dark gray with a uh, red bright key? Yep, that's the one. It's cool. It looks really nice. Yeah, it's a great keyboard. Yeah, and and Dinty, if you're not aware, Ed Snyder makes these custom, they're mechanical keyboards, they're custom manufactured, and you can choose your different color keycaps and combinations of keys, so it's a pretty cool uh, product. They're laser etched. 
Laser. You still make those now? Yeah, he's yeah, making them now. He sells them up pretty quick, though, so when he gets a batch done, because they're all hand-lasered etched and stuff, they usually disappear within a week, and then you have to wait a couple months till he gets around to another order. Oh, he's, got a new, he's got a new financing company called Tandy. What's it called? <laughs> it used to be City Line when I worked at Tandy. We used to use City Line <laughs> when it. I was financing Tandy 1000s to people. Yeah, yeah just, just kidding. <laughs> they're not that expensive. Yeah, his last batch of keyboards sold out in about four hours. Wow. Yeah. All right, thank you, Alan, very much for that update. Uh, now we'll move on to Ron Delvo. Ron hey. Delvo. I got a 1982 tape recorder. It's a uh, realistic CTR 55. Ooh. Sweet. And it's uh, just a tape recorder, but you know what? It looks just like the uh, CTR 81. ID. Yeah. ID one. Yeah. Yeah, but it still has the things on the side. Oh, yeah, it's the same. the same. It's all the same. There's some <laughs> slightly different, uh, like this uses a uh, wall wart instead of an electric plug, but it still has the same width area there if uh, they had put the um, electric cord on there, you know. Oh, they probably just relabeled it. It uses the C battery still, same flap. It's pretty cool. doesn't work. But uh, <laughs> after well, all if you, that, if you do get it working, make sure you use only realistic brand cassette tapes with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. superior it used data. To be, yeah. Used to be in four months, you can get something like this working. Right? Yeah. Size C battery once a month. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then you get a little bit of an hour of music play out of it. I can count. Uh, well, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't get much very often, but uh, uh, today I, I, I did get a, uh, a guitar for $4. Huh. It's a Westbrook. And uh, the, the, they had this woman's name was printed on the um, uh, outside of the case. And so I looked her up, and there was three women with that name. And I'm hoping uh, one of them have uh, you know something to say about where it came from. When it, when it, it looks like it's 1970s. It's called a Westbrook. Oh. Maybe it's junk. I don't know, but it's in good shape. That's four bucks. You can't go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> guitar and case. It has uh, those um, plastic strings on the bottom and metal on the top. It's a folk guitar, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Also, nylon strings. Or ukulele yeah. is undercut. It's also, on my. Uh, it's on my uh, profile. If you go look, I got twelve also, pictures of it. So they're probably wound uh, Somebody nylon took, strings uh, and wound nylon, wound yeah, nylon strings. On the case, it's all t uh, beat up pretty much. And somebody um, used uh, like clothesline rope to make the handle again. <laughs> That's <laughs> even cool to look at. So take a look at it sometime. That's it. Thank you. That's a cool acquisition. Well, some, I mean, a lot of us like music too. So that's, uh, that's a cool mm -hmm. acquisition. Thank you. All right. And last on my list anyway, we have uh, Nick Morenti's. Oh, I've got no acquisitions. I mean, no, no updates. Oh, well, the only update I've got is that uh, my game pipes is uh, is finished and now undergoing uh, game testing and uh, organising of the game packaging. So hopefully a November release. And that'll be the CD release as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll do a CD for those, but I'll also have a digital download, just a low-cost one. Yeah, Hey, if you want to test that digital download. 
<laughs> well, that's big news. That's awesome. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen the game. It looks fantastic. It's been Look, a great year for Nick Moran. You don't live there, but <laughs> Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, All that's right. a lot got. Oh, that's a big update. Thank you. No, up, we do updates and acquisitions. Now. <laughs> that's definitely worthy updates. So, excellent. Thank you. Anybody else have anything they want to add to this segment? Yeah, I, I got, got a few. Got something. Oh. No, go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah. Go. Go ahead. I, I've got. Well, the uh, one night I was going down a YouTube rabbit hole and trying to figure out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What kind of printer I wanted to buy that would be the most universal and would work with the most number of things, right? So I, um, I, started, I really wanted to get the Gorilla Banana, which is a CI Talk printer and to design originally for VIC-20. Uh, unfortunately, that's not very compatible with anything. However, uh, I believe this one is. This is a DMP-105. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had one of those. Uh, it has yeah. serial and parallel, plus a bunch of dip jumpers, too, or dip switches to various modes. Um, uh, however... Here's the bad news. So I bought this. This often happens when you're collecting stuff like this. I bought this, and I said, oh, well, you know, there's all kinds of places that sell uh, printer ribbons, all these Japanese companies and stuff. And this is the one printer ribbon I couldn't find. On the face of the earth, I do not believe mm. there is a new DMP-105 uh, printer out there, printer ribbon out there. So I went back down the uh, YouTube rabbit hole and uh, found out that you can use a can of WD-40 to revive these printer ribbons. So Indeed. I make a video about that. But I, you know, but again, I'm looking for this is just for my own, you know, personal amusement. But you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I got a new cocoa. I bought it, it came with a cable. I've never had one of these cables before. But okay, I have to have a printer. And then well, if I'm gonna buy a printer, I better you know, I don't ever have a, you know, I don't have any room left in my studio for anything, right? I'm not even if I had a can of soda, I gotta throw something away, right? So I um I had to get something most universal, so I'm hoping that this will be. So I'm going to try this out in a uh, Radio Shack. I'm sorry, not Radio a, 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 a TI-994A. I'm going to try it out on an Atari 8-bit. Everything is going to be printing on this printer, hopefully. <laughs> so, uh, we'll find out, uh, but I'm not planning on buying another printer. It's either that or we're not going to have printing in the video, one of those types of deals. But uh, So I got high hopes for this little DMP-105 here. Was that the printer that was um, most associated with the Coco, or, or yes, or yeah, Jack? it was. I think the one hundred and seven looks exactly like it. Only I don't know what the difference is or the, why the CGP two hundred and twenty was a little bit too because it was color, so it kind of matched the Coco, but it was pretty expensive and it was an inkjet at the time, so it was quite a bit slower. Oh my yeah, goodness. the one hundred and five was cheap and it was pushed with the Coco. It was yeah. mine. I'll look and see if I have some old ribbons. Maybe you can WD forty up again. I, until they wear through, you can you, you can go back up and. I don't know about, about WD fortying up, but I'd certainly look at the ribbons. Uh, but anyway, do you, yeah. <laughs> do you have the cover for it, or is it missing? It's missing. I, you know, I paid. You know, I paid. I think uh, thirty-five dollars this with delivered. So uh, I'm not complaining. Not bad. Well, it, it came matches the piece. CMA. <laughs> yeah, it's missing the cover. <laughs> yeah, it. and also needs retro writing, which is not going to happen. So uh, I'm not. I'm not that it has. It, it better be something pretty special for me to go and, and try and retro write it. And this is not, unfortunately, not that special. But it should be a nice working prayer. You know what? Wouldn't it be cool if is. if someone came up with a uh, a way to rub on and rub off retro writing of some kind? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that make money? Hmm. So like wouldn't. me, like me, like uh, like Armorall, just your yeah, and retro brights. Yes, 
retro bright, you know, half hour, you're done, you wipe it off, and you didn't have to take it apart. It looks. You know, I don't know because you know the person I know who's most into retro brighting is David Murray, the eight bit guy, and he is the probably the most. Um, I don't want to say anal, but he's very much uh, a paint by numbers kind of guy, you know. Um, and so I think if there's a certain amount of, um, uh, I think I think people who are good at this are 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 proud of the fact they're good at it, you know. They'd also be very good at doing a number of other things. That wouldn't be like, for example, I would buy it, right? But I'm also not a retro bright kind of guy normally. So um, um, I kind of like this this lovely patina, you know, more patina. Uh. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think they're the. I mean, the the, the retro brighting and the whole process of get, finding better ways to do it. You know, uh, that guy in Australia, Mr. Lurch, he's big into stuff like that. You know, and uh, uh, Adrian of Adrian's Digital Basement did a video the other day where he was showing his stuff, and in the corner. Very corner of the basement, under some lights, he showed these. He's playing with new retro brighting techniques, you know, as just for fun, you know. But uh, so no, I, I don't know. I don't know if retro brighting can would work just because of the kinds of people who, who, who would think about doing retro brighting. You know, I think most of us casual clay. I'm, I'm, you know, I do videos, but I'm still a casual collector. Don't mind looking at a yellow case if it actually works, you know. All right, thank you, Pat. And uh, was that was that Brian uh, Brian Weasler who said he had something to talk about as well? Yeah, I got a uh, <clears throat> I got a few things to share. Am I coming through okay? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I missed the uh, uh, coming back into the segment there. I had to disconnect and reconnect. My audio dropped off there, so sorry about that. Um, I, um, just before we left the news, I was trying to talk, and I don't know if my microphone was working, but Curtis uh, was in his new segment was talking about a disc that said that extravaganza. Uh, was the disc that that one lady had found that is up yeah. on the uh, archive? Oh, it is okay. Yep, Ew. yep. And it uh, it looks like it's a group of uh, like twenty or twenty five little programs, little basic programs, all grouped together, a little cluster of different uh, games and utilities and such. Did it come with so, a book or anything? I didn't see a book out on the archive. No, it just a zip file with the disc image. I so, wonder if it came with a piece of paper that explained them. Or, uh, or it might. Yeah, but uh, it's in there. Um, a couple of things I wanted to share real quick. Um, one of the things on my list uh, is the uh, uh, the word pack. I was able to acquire one of these. That's the uh, 80 column uh, card mm -hmm. that was available nice. uh, back in the time. So I was able to get one of those. So I was kind of excited about that. And that's um, the original PBJ one or the? Yeah, this is the PBJ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they later resold those uh, through Radio Shack, but. Okay. Uh, well, this one does say RS after it. I don't know if that's if that's maybe the Radio Shack one then, or did they totally? I'm trying, I'm trying to remember if it actually changed the label to say Radio Shack or Tandigon. I can't. I can't remember honestly. Because I know they sold them independently at first, and then Radio Shack actually picked it up through Express Order. Okay. Okay. Um. And then uh, a, a book that I had uh, shown out on Facebook there. Uh, somebody. Had talked about these and i thought it was kind of cool uh was that there was this a uh, series of books here by uh, uh k power and uh this was one of them that i that i got here it's this uh uh, uh computer monsters and it's a, it's a book series that has a bunch of little basic mm. programs in it and uh, they're set up to work with either the uh uh the color computer the apple the atari 400 uh, the uh the uh commodore 64 vic 20 but they're little programs, and what's kind of neat is it has the core program, and then it has the little little pieces of uh, what you have, of code that you have to change for um, uh, to make it work with the color computer, to make it work with the Apple. So it's kind of kind of a fun little uh, 
a fun little book and it, it has a little story that goes a real small story and then it tells what it does but it's uh each one and then like i said it, it has the changes that you have to make for the different computers to the core program to make it work but then i found out there's actually uh a series of these. And so I was able to acquire those. So this is computer monster. I do like the fact I was just going to point out too, that it has a tribute to nightmare highway on the cover there too. Oh, yes. <laughs> it does kind of look like a, yeah, kind of a, uh, the, the bats there. And I stuff can see like a that. couch in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> and there was another one here called uh, computer space adventures. It was part of the, the series Oops. and computer Olympics. And again, all of these are the same thing where it has a kind of a core program and then it shows you all the things you have to change to make it work with the various systems. And then the last one that was part of the group was called uh, uh, Computer Craziness. So that was kind of a fun little uh, set of books there to get. Now, were those all text-based programs or were there graphic programs in there too? Yeah, yeah, these are all, from what I've seen so far, these were all just text-based. So as an example, here's one. I just flipped the page open here. looks like a wine bottle and a and a glass there and you can see it just uses characters to create the image so i'm not right. sure what that's about i just flipped it open as all so what is it all boot yeah what's it all about <laughs> it's just to encourage an underage drinking i think uh, at this time you should say crikey crikey <laughs> and then um lastly what i just wanted to share is um i've been uh, chatting with um uh with michael uh, uh pretzley and uh him and I have been kind of trading some cartridges. He's been looking for some, and I've been looking for some. So him and I have been kind of trading back and forth. And um, again, I'm trying to get all the different various labels and stuff. So I was able to get uh, the checkers with the square label. I have the one that has the label that kind of goes diagonal. So I was able to get the square label. Um, he had the uh, the atom with the white label. I just had a, a red label one. So now I got a white label um Adam cartridge, and then also a, um, a, t- a TRC the color logo. The one I have is the white. This one here is kind of all kind of a shade of blue. It's kind of a little different looking. So I was oh. kind of kind of glad to get that one. And then one here. I don't. Is Terry still on the on the call with us? Terry Stiggy? Mm, no, I think he's. Gone. Oh shoot! I was hope I was I haven't I was posted a picture about this. I was hoping to show him this one because uh, this one's very interesting <laughs> and uh, it looks like chess. Looks a lot like chess. Sure. When when you look on the end, but if you notice, it's a relabeled, and there is a TDP label <laughs> underneath it. <laughs> what? Yeah. So there's a TDP label that's un- or underneath the bottom of it with a Radio Shack label. So I thought that was kind that's of an interesting what? little find. So <clears throat> what's that got to be worth? I don't know, <laughs> but uh, he uh, he asked me if I if I wanted this, and because uh, he knows I collect all the different cartridges and stuff, so. Uh, so I was kind of a that was kind of a neat little find. I normally I would try to fix these and re glue them back down, but that's one obviously I'm not yeah, going to touch. Right. So, so, so I yeah. wonder if Tandy, like when they when they shut down the TDP distribution idea of selling outside of Radio Shack stores, did they take the stock back and then just relabel them like that for Tandy products and resell Could them? Be. So, yeah, yeah. That, that that's what my first thought was is that yeah maybe they just had a stock of uh, TDP cartridges. So I wonder how many other ones are out there. That are just covered and over because the label it's covered over and people are completely unaware that they even have it. We have to we have to peel all of our carts now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Beatles album, man. People are going to be ripping them apart like uh, like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory trying to find the golden ticket there. So. And, and uh, contact me because I have cart glue. Okay. <laughs> okay. Seven fifty. That's all I have today for you, there, Nick. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, I guess uh, I assume that. Uh, 
covers everybody for uh, I, I got one thing i just want to mention quick oh, okay and it looks yes. like brian Schubing. were you raising your hand brian or were you waving goodbye yes i was okay so brian's got something after curtis oh sorry oh, brian yes brian you oh, want to go, go first curtis go I, ahead i can go first yeah it's just a quick announcement for the people on the beta the the beta of the beta for nitrous nine i I'd sent out a week ago I, I mentioned in the last week's show too about testing out the new mouse button for selecting windows forward and back I've only had feedback from three people so far. So I know some people have been pretty busy the last while. So I'm hoping if some of you guys can get back to me and make sure the instructions are understandable, that it works as expected, et cetera. So if any of you are on the program, uh, please send me some feedback. That's it. All right. Thank you. And Brian, my apologies. I thought I asked you earlier. I guess I didn't. So no, yeah, no, I, did. I, I forgot all about this at all that I had this. I've had, I don't, I can't remember where I got it, but. Okay. Hold Modern on. logo. Oh, there it is. Oh, cool. This is the disc base, uh, the disc. You guys can start a logo programming club. How many yeah. pieces of logo did the Coco had? Because we had Super Logo, Color Logo, DL Logo. We've had disc and cassette and cartridge. And this is the Tandy Education Systems 90 dash whatever skew. So it's. You got it. Yeah, this is 910100. Cool. I forgot that I had this, and I don't see it on the uh, archive either. And I've got a uh, fresh disc in here too. Do you, you know anybody back, who Brian? knows how to make disc images, Brian? Jimmy? Uh I know how to do that. <laughs> 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 yeah. I was who are being... you talking, you guy? <laughs> I was being sarcastic. You just did a YouTube video on it. So yeah, That's so. right. <laughs> here, hold my beer. Hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you guys. That was a very interesting segment, and I don't know about interesting, but it was a segment. It was a segment. <laughs> oh, one, one last acquisition note: I've been looking for months. The most valuable thing in Curtis Boyle's backdrop is the white bookshelves that were formerly available at very many knockdown bookshelf sources, and you can't buy them anymore. Those white bookshelves aren't available. They haven't been available for months. They may not be available for months. I could find Trivia Fever cheaper than I could find those bookshelves. <laughs> anyway, interesting note. My search. I have three of them. I need six of them. Curtis, offer them, Curtis. Shipping no way, they're holding up all my rainbows. <laughs> right? Shipping may be prohibitive. <laughs> Retro innovations questions whether there was something interesting in that segment. So uh, I don't know. I guess. Uh... Well, it certainly wasn't his comments. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one quick comment. I go ahead, Brian. Uh, Pat, uh, for that DMP 105, I had scavenged a whole bunch of uh, old computer printer ribbons from a, a store that had closed in my area about 25 years ago. They're still sealed. I might have that oh. version. Oh. I might. Doubtful, but I might. I, I've got even some daisy wheel stuff. Wow. Okay, great. <laughs> Pat, are you and on Discord by any chance? Uh, I don't have a Discord, no. But yeah. I can get on your Discord. Oh, so, uh, okay. I'll send you the information. I'll just, I'll just okay. reply to your email. But yeah, that might be a good way to, to everybody to keep in touch with you. How, how, thing that, you, know, you mentioned something earlier that I'd like to, I'd like to just ask a quick question about. Uh, you mentioned that this one lady whose who's father was a hoarder is selling out his collection. He's got a bunch of stuff. Um, I don't know if you know about the computer reset 
uh, craze that happened this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, computer reset closed. And I don't know if you're aware of this. It's now being remained, it's remained open. It's being run by a bunch of volunteers. Um, and there is a huge uh, kind of crazy collector's boom now for anything that's found like barn finds. And, you know, recently they found a bunch of Amigas and trailers out in the uh, uh, Arizona desert. I don't know if you guys were knew about that. Was but, it right uh, above the ET cartridges or? Well, saying. it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, there's a whole story behind it. And the guy from Kansas City um, gave me, you know, and I, you know, I, it's, it's on, it's on your side of the room. You can't see it. I mean, as much as I could take uh, Commodore software, uh, he just had all, you know, well, it was still sealed. Um, and he said, this is the last that I have of this. But he said he got like 24 Amigas that were near new. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. In any event, uh, that was a huge deal. And, and I, and I just, I, I'm wondering, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll follow that Facebook face, but what a, what a great thing. I'd love to get that out to the rest of the YouTube community because that sort of thing just makes people go crazy, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was a very interesting. So thanks for that. Fine. That's pretty cool. Well, things, things like that, uh, fuel the housing market because, uh, people find that their house is just no longer big enough. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what are you talking about? What is this all about? It'd be like that huge hall of Tandy assembly when the guy brought that whole truck full of. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah, that was neat. Yeah, Richard Lorbieski went to one of the guys who's one of our semi regulars. He went to the computer reset recently. He's in Texas, so. Um, yes, found some interesting stuff there. He's the guy who makes the boomerang memory boards, among other things, too. So, uh, cool. No, excellent, excellent people skills, that guy. Oh yeah. There's nothing cooler than somebody calling you up, you know, somebody that you know, eh, sort of know, and they go, "Hey, Ron, uh, my mother passed away, and uh, in her garage was a Model <laughs> Three. Uh, can I bring it over? Uh, gee, let me think a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about your loss, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. What a neat thing, huh? Yeah. They're probably happy that it's going to go to somebody who's going to care for it as opposed to ending up. Yeah, and when people know, that was like for me, a, a buddy of mine knew I was into this stuff, and he's like, he got a, all those consoles I showed you guys all day, like Nintendo 64s and Nintendos and all the Segas and all that stuff. He, I got a whole lot of all of that, and I was able to pick it up on Father's Day. So it's, it's kind of cool when people know you're into that, and they come across those once-in-a-lifetime things, and you're able to, like, in, like, the Exer set that's above me here, that's kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime yeah, thing. Yeah, that was a find. So um, yes. it is kind of neat. Like I said, somebody tagged me on Facebook saying, yeah, I know you're into the, the retro stuff, and this guy's in Port St. Lucie. I know you're in Florida. You ought to hit him up, you know? So, uh yeah, and that way, their cool. their stuff lives on, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And your wife just loves you for it. I understand. So, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I think everyone, <laughs> <Once> more, <laughs> everyone that collects uh, computers like this should probably have an SUV as opposed to a car with four doors. Well, another thing too, and I think Mark Overholzer mentioned this that it was mentioned in one of those Apple Juiced uh, newsletters at one point in time is you almost need to have like a living will for your collection as far as like a next of kin on what to do with it. Because if not, you know, like right now, God forbid I drop dead tomorrow, you know, my wife, the first thing my wife's going to want to do is just to burn everything that's in this room. So it's just like, um, you know, you, you need to, you kind of need to prearrange the afterlife for your collection after you're gone too. You know, that's something that you actually have to think about. It's funny you mention that, about. Stevie, because I, this is part I didn't mention about it, but the Coco Crew episode, that was one of the discussions they had was on 
how to will it to somebody else or, you know, have it set out so that it goes to somebody, you know, a club that, you know, so it doesn't just get thrown in the trash. Yeah. Bury it with you. Yeah. Bury it with you. With a really long extension. Yeah. I need, I need, I need a whole like, uh, Egyptian tomb with all my (laughs) retro stuff set around me. So after in the afterlife, I can still be working on my eight bit machines. Right. So (laughs) I just want my Coco two with buzzard bait playing and I'll be off. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That would kill me too. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, so Stevie, I guess are we going to roll the outro? Yeah, I guess we can do parting thoughts and, and I, I, I definitely want to say a very special thanks, Pat, for joining us. It was great to have you on. Looking forward to watching your channel. And as you add more content, feel free to jump on anytime um, and um, you know share your stuff with us. And also, and, and Pat, Pat, do you know when you're going to be releasing the third part of the John Roach interview? I'm hoping to do it uh, Monday. Okay, because I definitely am looking forward to that too. So yeah, yeah my Monday I really want to keep as close to Subtandy as I can, and uh, Monday is the next time I can release something, so it's gonna be Monday probably. Okay, cool, cool. Well, we had a kind of a small panel today, but we did, still had a good show. We made up for it in uh, in quality versus quantity this week. And I, again, Curtis, I want to thank you um, this month. It's just uh, the amount of Subtandy content you found for us. And the amount of community outreach you've done and all the synergies and relationships you've fostered have been incredible for not only the show, but just in general for humanitarian purposes. There's actually a few videos I skipped, too, because some of them were, you know, they mentioned Coco and the Septandi, but they, you know, showed it for like two seconds and didn't ah, talk about it. So yeah. it didn't really work well, but there was a few others, too. So, yes. This is uh, actually, this show is a first for me because I didn't know Patrick Euland had long hair. <laughs> it's thin, but it's good. You know, not a COVID cut. <laughs> good job, good job. All right, so anybody have any parting thoughts? Any final words you want to say before we roll the outros and everything else? Oh shit! <laughs> oh shit! Why don't, you, why, don't, why don't you give us a stop right there, too, Nick Marantes? <laughs> Kind of, I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, s- stop right there. <laughs> stop right there. Stop that horse shit right there. <laughs> Where is our horse? Really, should stop right there. <laughs> He's usually in the car driving somewhere. Yeah, they, he was on earlier. They're they're at a, a roller coaster park with the uh, the fake Eiffel Tower. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. My my parting thought is uh, Nitrous Nine EU beta testers, please give me some feedback. There we go. Sooner yeah. rather than later. Anyone well, else? No news is good news. Yeah. And Mark B, thanks for being here as the backup. I was I was warning Mark. I go. I'm not sure how much energy I'm going to have. I might fade before the show goes, and so he's ready to press the button and pick up if we had to. And luckily, I made it. You guys kept me awake, which was great. And thank you all. And yeah, I mean, I honestly, my heart has been tickled this month specifically with all of the kind of goodwill that's happening, you know, right now with COVID and politics and all kinds of stuff going on in the world. The real world is not the happiest and cheeriest of place, unfortunately. But to see that virtually we have this kind of global goodwill that is going on, it does my heart good to, to see that. And so I want to thank all of you guys for being phenomenal human beings and, and doing that and bringing some some light into an otherwise dark and dreary world that we have to happen to be in right now. So thank you guys for doing that. I'm very proud to be 
part of this collective of just positive, amazing human beings. So thank you, guys. Yeah. Obviously, I haven't been watching my secondary YouTube channel called <laughs> I'm a Dick. But, yeah. <laughs> Actually, this past week, I was feeling kind of grateful for the regulars we have in the Game On Challenge, just, you know, Tasman and, yeah. and Frodo and just, you know, people that came from different groups and people that contribute and, and take part every week. And I, I really appreciate that. So thank you guys for uh, taking part every week or yeah. you know, whatever you can. But uh, some of you are some of you are every week, and I really do appreciate that. Pat, you should come next week. Hang out. All right. Matt. Uh, well, to play us out, we're going to get another encore, the second encore of Coco Thoughts. <laughs> and then we'll even throw in a little bit I Want Tandy, because you just can't hear that song enough. And then we'll hear the final closing credits, and we'll press the button. Last chance, Brian Schubring, anything you want to say to your fans at home? Oh, I don't know. Just make some noise and be happy. Do you know anything about DriveWire, Brian? Anything? DriveWire, VCC, disk images, anything that you want to maybe start an impromptu discussion on that for an hour and a half? Would you like to? No? Anyone? No. Anyone? Okay. All right. Yeah, David David Ladd does that. <laughs> I know enough to shut up sometimes. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Enjoy these encore presentations, and we'll see you guys next week. Peace and love and cocoa forever. And now... Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Ah, uh, Breaker 19, this here's the Tandy Mouse. You got a copy on me, Light Pen? Come on. Oh, God, this is awesome. Ah, uh, yeah, 10 4 Light Pen, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's a big mess. Clear to database. Come on. Yeah, it's a big 10-4 there, Light Pen. Yeah, we definitely got asteroids ahead, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive. Looks like we got to save this convoy. <laughs> From the dark of the moon, like some cartoon, there's nothing but giant rocks. Magnetic mines from front and behind, and alien ships stealing stocks. We just heading for bear where there's no air, about a parsec out of alpha base. I said, Light Pen, here's the Tandy Mouse, and I'm gonna have to put him in their place. Cause we got a stellar lifeline bubbling through the stars. Yeah, we got a stellar lifeline, it might crash into Mars. Come on and shoot everything, and it's all just gonna get in our way. We protect this stupid convoy across the galaxy. Convoy. I had to take a little poetic license with Orion there, nothing wrong with that. It rhymes, damn it. We have enough to make a CD, I think, of our music. Big 20 is such a bore. Apple 2 is priced so high. Tandy, I'm gonna buy. We got the Nightmare Highway song, too.
need it tonight. But JT, hey. I need it tonight. I knew you would. Creepy. Forty years have come and gone. Candy, I'm still counting on. Software, hardware, something new. Can't do without my switcheroo. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight big world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the eight big world. Keeping the tiny flame alive We may be mocked, but we'll never stop Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marenkis, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Marota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. 